forged in the fire of adversity. Called to return to our first love. Follow the ancient paths as we discover the hidden word of Yahuwah. This is Crossing Over with Jessica Arianis. Jessica, how are you? I'm um, I'm ready to go, but I am not hearing your microphone. I'm showing you as being muted. Uh, there we go. How about now? Hey, you're not being yeah. muted anymore. There you go. Okay. You were once mute, and now you speak. It's, yes, I was blind, and now I see. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> yes, well, uh, you know, hey, it's very exciting tonight. Really? It's very exciting indeed, and and we've got so much to talk about. And I want I want to thank you, Jessica, for the preliminary show discussion. Um, obviously this topic, you know, as you've mentioned in the, in the header of crossing over, you know, we talk about the world of Yahweh, we talk about, uh, you know, this place of understanding that we really do not have understanding of, you know, we think we know the things on this earth, but the older I get, the, the less I know and the less I'm certain of, but the things that are not of this earth, the things that are of the non-material world, we look, we know so little of, and, and yet it is where all things reside, you know. Um, I used to tell people in my fellowship, look, get out a pen and paper and draw for me, if you will, the essence of life. You know, wow. what shape is it? What color is it? Of course, it right. can't be done. Or uh, draw for me what a truth looks like. What right. color is it? What shape is it? What texture? Well, you can't do any of that. But truth and life and meaning, all of those things have no material existence. They They're exist in a non-material world. Right. And that non-material world ho uh, holds the most important things that we see and the most important things we understand, consciousness, life, existence itself, truth and meaning, all of these things are held in a non-material world, a world beyond our ability to see or hear. That's right. And so we have to understand, we have to understand and we understand primarily by the grace that it's been given us by, by a grace of understanding, a spirit of understanding, a ruach of understanding that has been given to us at the discretion of he who created us. Hallelujah. And uh, so as we explore these things, these things are not for the timid. I mean, if you're a person who says, well, look, I want to go on in my life believing what my pastor told me when I was 12 years old, and I don't want any further discussion beyond that, then this isn't the place for you to be. You need to go someplace else where you can rehearse the, the rote things of this world. But if you are a person who is seeking the truth and who has an inquiring mind and you want to understand at a greater level, and this is not, I don't think we're boasting, but we are exploring topics that have gone unexplored for millennia. And because so many people have run in fear from books that were written and written specifically for the times we're in right now, as a consequence, I do think that this is going to be an important show as we talk about uh, the fallen watchers, who yeah. they are, and in particular, what has been revealed to us in our research of the underlying Hebrew and the underlying texts that we are using at the Et Sefer. Yeah. And uh, I have to tell you, Jessica, you know, um, one of the guys working on our team at uh, Sefer Publishing Group, Rex Harris, 
he's been a real blessing to us. I mean, everybody who's walked in the door at CPG has been a blessing. And Rex has come in and, um, you know, he's helping me produce a whole series of videos. We're launching a new line now on talking about the prophecies of Daniel 9. And this also is going to unleash a topic of discussion uh, that we think is very important. You know, so I, I, went, I remember when I first started down this path, I would go meet people and I would say, you know, have you considered what is written in Daniel 9? And they would talk, you know, carry on their side of the conversation from what they read in the Left Behind series. Right. And so I'd find myself arguing with Nikolai of Carpathia, you know, and all of these other things, uh, or uh, the Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, where, you know, most people's conception of the prophecies in Daniel 9 or the prophecies in Revelation have been given to them by people who were first kind of on the scene in America to bring forth these ideas. But now we're moving into a different realm. We're moving into a realm of understanding where people have done a tremendous amount of research, not just us, by any means. And as the research begins to unfold and we start to see evidence now of the antediluvian world, you know, the pre-flood world, that evidence is coming forward. We're seeing evidence of sophisticated civilizations that appear to have existed before the Sumerian culture or the Canaanite culture or the Egyptian culture. We're seeing all of that. Right. And as these things come forward, people have questions and they're going, what is this? What does it mean? And I think the larger question is, does scripture say anything about these things? Well, if I may, uh, first and foremost, want to thank uh, all of our viewers for tuning in tonight and for your dedicated support, uh, not only of Dr. Pigeon, but myself. And, uh, you know, Dr. Pigeon, I think what's interesting is that what, you know, you were talking about consciousness, you were talking about the elements of life. And, you know, I remember uh, being in college, I went to a private school, uh, Liberty University, which is a Baptist school, and I was studying psychology. And so we had to learn, we had to study metaphysics, and we had to study philosophy. And uh, briefly, though, so I'm not really adept in, in that, that field. But I mean, I know a little bit. And I remember learning about co what is consciousness, you know, what, what is the concept of consciousness. And I remember thinking critically, about this and, and and what I the conclusion I came to for myself, Dr. Pigeon, where I felt comfortable with was what influences me, not necessarily what is will, what is free will, what is the the opportunity to choose or to differentiate, to know that you even have a choice, right? To differentiate between two elements or two ways or two perspectives, two paths, whatever you want to call it. But Dr. Pigeon, what motivates me to want to choose one or the other? or what motivates me to not to want not want to choose any to become complacent or lethargic and so when we think about this particular topic the first thing that comes to mind dr pigeon is what in in you know again these things have been veiled from you know that the eye for some reason and they are being revealed now now is the time right here's the thing dr p is it possible is it possible that these particular entities that we're going to discuss today could it be that they have not only influenced the minds of men who are in position of influence, but through media, through propaganda, through politics, through religion, that we ourselves have also been influenced by these particular entities? That, that, that's what I want to know. Have we been influenced by these things that we think, oh, well, this is, this is, well, that was way back then. And you know, men of renown 
why did they why did they feel the need to couple themselves with women in order to create something for what to rule the world for what to dominate but again do we have that is it applicable today I was looking at television is television some of the movies that we watch some of the programs that we that we pay attention to are they as innocent as we believe they are? Actors, uh, politicians, uh, you know, people again who influence a culture, the zeitgeist who influences a, a culture. Is it innocent, Dr. P, or is there something else behind it? And I think that's where I'm. That's where I'm at. That's that's what I want to discover tonight. So I have questions for you. I have them written down. Let me just lay down the rules before we get started and let our audience know that we are glad for them to be here. Listen, this is an interactive show. That means that you can make comments and Dr. Pigeon and I will both be able to see them. We encourage you to post your comments, but if you have questions and they pertain to the subject at hand, please use the all caps feature so we can differentiate between the questions and your conversations. Also, if you have questions that are lengthy and maybe perhaps outside of what we're discussing, then please refrain from uh, posting them. I won't see them until the end. Our, our moderators will let you know when it's time to post your questions. We will reserve some time at the end of the show and we will discuss your questions at hand. We will let you know. Dr. Pigeon, well, Jessica, wow, that's yeah. such a great opening, and I think it's such a great question. You know, I had this same question in my heart and in my mind, and one of the answers that came to me is, of course, you shall know them by their fruits, right? This is something that is taught in the gospel, and it is important, I think, for us to understand that. And when we look at the fruit, this is what I see. You know, it makes no difference where you look in the world, whether, whether you're looking in Asia or Africa or Europe, South America, Australia, wherever, wherever you're looking in the world, you see evil manifest the same way over and over and over again. There's an evil pattern, if you right. will. There's lots of choices in evil, but it never follows some differentiation. There's no creativity there. It's the same evil over and right. over again. You know, it's kill people, destroy the family, destroy children. Uh, you know, and this is the thing that goes on, and it goes on over continuously in every culture and every world. Well, why is it the same? Why is there no... Uh, creativity. Why is there no mm -hmm. differentiation? And There's it's because, from it, right? yeah, there, it's the same spirit behind it. It's the same spirit of rebellion. Now, you know, we we know that that Hua ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the knowledge of good and evil had specific fruit on it from which she ate, and that specific fruit brought a certain kind of knowledge, a certain kind of guilt, if you will, a certain kind of evil that has been brought forward. And we see this continually. And so we see the rebellious one competing continually with the creator. And he's competing here on this planet because this planet is the mediator, if you will. It is the rakia that divides the waters above from the waters below. And the waters below are waters of damnation and the waters above are waters of salvation. And so with the, with the rakia, we see that this is the center fold, right? This is this this is the zero point, if you will. This is the marker, right? This is the um, uh, ground zero is what I'm looking for. And because this is ground zero, this is where you see Hasatan uh, has continually competed with Yah for control of this place. And it's not that this is the center of the universe in terms of the geocentric, the geocentric center, but the center of existence 
between the heavens above and the waters below. And so what we see here is we see this idea of Hasatan acting in a specific way to try to overcome the return of the Mashiach because he failed in the first in the first return of Mashiach. He succeeded in tempting the first Adam. The second Adam, he failed. He said, I'll put him to death. When they send the son, I will put him to death and that will make me king. And what he didn't know is that by putting him to death, he exalted him permanently to a permanent throne and a permanent throne of salvation and atonement for everyone and every person. And so now you see this last ditch attempt, uh, even though he knows he's going to lose, he is still fighting with, with um, fear, anger, and hatred using his tools of murder, accusation, lying, and stealing. Slander, an yeah. accuser, yeah. absolutely. It's a campaign. You know, he's been campaigning against the Most High since the beginning, um, you know, slandering his character and campaigning against him. Uh, what's interesting is what's interesting is that uh, some people are mentioning the fact that uh, movies, um, it says, I, the Lisa, Lisa said, well, let me just put the, comment here. Lisa says, I think games, movies, and series books are getting the world ready for them, and people won't be that frightened because they fight them in games or help them. I see it in my games that the children play. And so this is what I was talking about when it comes to being influenced. Uh, it's sort of like predictive programming, and they are conditioning uh, the, you know, throughout the generations are conditioning the minds of men to receive this great deception. And so what is influencing, you know, people think that they, and I've heard this and I've done lots of research in the past on particular actors and um, uh, writers, directors who have claimed that they were even, you know, met by some sort of entity or were inspired by an unseen muse. I was even uh, listening to a brief uh, bio on Denzel Washington, where he claimed, Dr. Pigeon, that he would go into a trance to prepare for his role. He would go into a trance. He would meditate and go into a trance in which he would then step into character or into role. And he would refuse to break that role until his position was over. But what is this that's visiting and influencing these individuals? Are they really tapping into a, a, a realm of creativity in which they are inspired to create out of nothing? Um, or are they being downloaded with information? For example, we have Harry Potter's, uh, I can't remember her name, but the woman who wrote Harry Potter, um, she claims that angels visited her and that, I'm looking for her name, her name's J.K. Rowling, and she claimed that angels, uh, messengers, visited her and gave her, and she would wake up in the middle of the night, Dr. P, with visions and dreams, and she would write what they would show her. And so this is how she claims to have come up with the Harry Potter series. Now, again, what's influencing the media? You know, what better way to influence directors and artists in order to shape a culture so that they would be receptive of this type of de uh, deception? Let's think about really quick. Let's think about uh, comic books. Let's think. And I know people think, oh, well, it's innocent. It's Batman. It's Superman. But let me tell you something. And I, and I want our viewers to, to be diligent and search for yourself these things to see if they be true. 
But there are two individuals, particularly one is named Grant Morrison. And Grant Morrison is a self-proclaimed chaos magician. Grant Morrison practices sigil magic and he works for DC Comics. He's the one, Dr. Pigeon, that actually put together the Batman series uh, and worked on the Avengers series. There's also another one, uh, Alan Moore. If you Google the mindscape of Alan Moore and look up his bio, you will find that he also is a chaos magician and he is a sorcerer who worked on the Batman and Joker series in which Heath Ledger killed himself or was killed. Yeah, he OD'd on that particular show. And they are also professed Luciferians. And they claim in their bios, Dr. Pigeon, that not only were they revealed, they were visited, they had some near-death experience. They were visited by a form or an entity that revealed these things, inspired their intellect, and then gave them uh, a revelation of these things. Uh, Alan Moore, who does the Mindscape of Alan Moore, this, he's the author of Mindscape of Alan Moore. He practices sigil magic, but he also understands symbols and languages. So again, these are things that they're putting, elements that they're putting into our, what we think is innocent, you know, the Avengers and, you know, all of these comic uh, superhero, you know, the Ubermensch, you know, Frederick Nietzsche's Ubermensch, which by the way, Ubermensch just means Superman. And so you have this Ubermensch mentality, Dr. Pigeon, in which people are believing that they themselves can be as Ubermensch. And so what is it that's influencing the culture today? What are these stars or fallen stars? Well, we're going to talk about some of this tonight, Jessica, because you're going to see that there is one text out there, the Sefer Hanok, the Book of Enoch. Yeah that tells us that we had a group of fallen watchers. That is to say, we had a group of guardian angels who were here to guard and watch over us and they fell and they fell through their lust for women and they left their estate, which was most likely another dimension where they held heavenly bodies and they came forward and landed on earth and took on some kind of human form. And in this human form, what did they do? They taught, they taught, they taught. Right, exactly. And they taught things of, they taught things of hidden knowledge. They taught, right. the art, the, the, uh, they taught the art of war. They taught the art of weapon making. They taught the, the art of makeup, but they also taught sorcery. So they're not just, they didn't just teach mm -hmm. pharmacia, you know, the ways of roots and so forth, but they also taught uh, sorcery. Now there's aspects of sorcery. And when you talk about, you know, um, natural pathic, naturopathic remedies, you know, that come, a lot, many of which come from roots and so forth. There's a lot to be said for a naturopathic remedy because it was given to us by Yah. But you have to remember that the earth was cursed. And because the earth was cursed, there's lots of poisonous things out there too. You can't just eat every fruit of the tree. You could in the Garden of Eden, but now you can't. Now you can't. Now you see that there's, you know, there's poisonous berries, there's poisonous mushrooms, there's poisonous insects, etc. And so you had these watchers come and teach these things. They taught these things. And when the, and this is exactly what's going on here. You had, you know, basically it was forbidden knowledge, knowledge that mankind would have never had. Right. But it was imparted to them. Now, when you see, so this is the first premise. We can we can hinge our hat on this premise that these watchers teach. They teach from a field of knowledge that we do not have. 
It's knowledge from a different realm, knowledge that perceives and understands all of human history and is able to relate. You know, you've seen all these back to the future kind of shows where somebody comes back, you know, goes back 200 years or 300 years and they happen to have a cigarette lighter or they have a, a flashlight or they have some technology on them that no one's ever seen. And they show it and everybody's, oh, he must be one of the gods, right? Well, that's a very similar circumstance here when you have somebody who comes from a different dimension, a heavenly dimension where they can see all of human history in a, in a simple glance, they come and they say, well, look, why don't you guys try this tech? Why don't you try that? Do this, do that. Now, I firmly believe, Jessica, that a lot of the digital technology that we have today was given to us by watchers, right. was given to us by Absolutely. volunteers. Okay, and you know that a lot of the aircraft technology we have was given to us by watchers. I mean, you have this idea of man struggling to fly for thousands of years, you know, Icarus making his wax wings and Michelangelo making his pseudo helicopter and so on and so forth, but nobody could do it. And then finally we have somebody figures out these principles of drag and so forth, you know, the Wright brothers and others uh, who figured out these principles of drag and thrust and lift and so on. And when they did, they were able to shape a wing that said, okay, with a little bit of uh, engine here, right. you know, with, with the invention of an engine, we can, we can do this. But all of a sudden, we go from the Wright brothers around 1900 to having jet aircraft by 1945 and to having these jets now that will move at Mach 5 and you know quasi-rocket jets and so on and so forth. We have technology now that's really out of this world because it was out of this world because it came from out of this world. Absolutely. Matter no. of fact, you know, you mentioned technology and really quick, let me just throw another name out there. We have Ada Lovelace. I don't know if you know about Ada Lovelace, but Ada Lovelace was um, uh, known as the first computer programmer. And she, again, was a self-professed witch who not only practices necromancy, uh, but uh, would perform seances for very influential people uh, during her time. And it says here in her bio that she was an English mathematician uh, chiefly known for her work on Charles Babbage's proposed mechanical general purpose computer. So this was, she worked on the first analytical machine. This is where IBM got the information. Matter of fact, um, Apple, uh, Jobs, Steve Jobs, uh, Jobs, Steve Jobs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched um, Pirates of Silicon Valley. We had to watch that in school, but it tells the story of Steve Jobs and how he himself also had this type of, encounter with spiritual entities and he uh, actually took off went to Budapest and um, you know took a bunch of LSD opened up his you know his third eye and what have you the chakras and uh, you know what is that uh, hormone that's released in the pineal gland I can't think of it right now uh, dopamine or something well no no it's the one that when you're dying it's released and this is why people oh. see I can't think of it right now, but people try to tap in and drink it all the time. They, they, this, I'll, I'll oh, adrenochrome. You're talking about adrenochrome. I think, I think that might be it. I think mm -hmm. that might be it. Yeah. It's like an acronym, but anyhow, he, he went, he was taking LSD doing all this stuff. And then he had a spiritual encounter with some, some form and entity that gave him uh, this type of information, but he was influenced by Ada Lovelace. Again, someone who practiced necromancy and summons the dead. So again, these entities, influencing people of position and power. I mean, come on, Dr. P. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, when we talk about this, we're going to see here in the record tonight that we're talking about, you have to distinguish between devils and demons. Okay. EMT. De sorry. <laughs> That's what oh, it's called. E EMT. DMT. DMT. Oh, yeah. It's powerful. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, 
but when you talk about these devils versus demons, a devil is the, you know, is the disconnected soul of a fallen watcher. A demon, on the other hand, is the disconnected soul of a child of a fallen watcher, a Nephilim, if you will. And so we're going to see here that there were, you know, both animals and human uh, demons that were created, these monsters that were created, uh, as the book of giants is going to unfold and tell us this. And so these demons now, their bodies have decayed, but their souls uh, are capable of roaming the earth. And so demons, we see these demons uh, uh, having influence. Now, it's the same thing with the devils. And you have to remember that not you have the book of Enoch records 200 watchers coming to the earth. But there was a third of heaven fell with Satan, not just 200, a third of heaven fell. And because of that, you have this there's there's literally thousands and thousands of watchers who have not come to the earth but who could come to the earth who could trans transit between or translate between the heavens and the earth and because of that as it says in genesis 6 that they were here before the flood and after and after and there's hard evidence now we don't get all the hard evidence in that uh, that we're going to see that we could see out of the text. For instance, I don't talk about the five brothers of Goliath uh, who had six fingers and double rows of teeth, according to the text, according to scripture. Okay, according to scripture, they had six fingers and, and five and double rows of teeth. And they were gargantuan people, they were huge. So you see, there is a scriptural record for giants and you have it, these inordinate people who were on the earth and where did this genetic makeup come from? And this genetic makeup, and again, we're gonna see again, some genetic stuff that is in the record, in the scriptural record, that is anomalous to what people have told you. So people say, well, look, you're gonna find this in the book of Enoch. No, we're gonna look at a whole bunch of texts that are in the Tanakh and that are in the redacted, what we call the canon, the redacted Bible, we're going to look at some, a lot of text from those sources to see what we're talking about here in terms of these giants and so forth. And when you talk about the influence, the truth is, is that these demons are getting around, these devils are getting around, these demons are getting around, and they are having an influence. Now, sometimes the demons, are I don't think, are, are uh, intelligent. The demons are not all that intelligent. Uh, they tend to be very animated, cruel. But when you're talking about the devils, they're extremely intelligent. These were fallen watchers who brought them, brought with them the knowledge of virtually all technology will ever have. So they can come to somebody and say, look, let's disclose this particular knowledge to somebody or this particular text or this particular thing. We will influence the course of humanity now in a way that's going to allow us to convert the the vast majority of mankind over to worshiping us rather than worshiping the creator, right? And so when you look at now, now I'm going to talk about this for a minute because we're getting into a lot of names here. We're talking about necromancers and seance people and, you know, and occultists. Look, the bottom line is this, we have to be very clear in delineating this. At some level, you know, Bob Dylan once said, you're going to serve somebody, you know, you're going to serve somebody, and at some level, every single human being must choose. Are they going to serve the light, or are they going to serve the dark? Are they going to serve he who created them, or are they going to serve his competitor? Are they going to serve the one who says, you must wait on me, live the life that I gave you in simplicity, 
and in honor and integrity and beauty and in love and in joy? Or are you going to live the guy, live the life that the guy is promising you? I'll give you fame, success, money, riches, you know, status, blah, 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 blah. And the promise is there. And you know that. I mean, I have had personal experience with Hasatan making those promises to me when I was screaming at him, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And, you know, eventually he left. He left and, and never came back. You know, but I could tell you that the temptation that I met so many musicians, I'll sell my soul for that right now. I mean, they tell you point blank right to your face. I would sell my soul in a heartbeat in order to get the fame or to get the wealth. And, you know, it took me a while to discover fame is a curse and, you know, and inordinate wealth inordinately earned is also a curse. And uh, so, you know. Uh, the uh, you know, and as uh, as what's his name, Rep. Tevi would say, "May the good Lord curse me with that right now." You know, but uh, from Fiddler on the Roof. But the thing is, when you're talking about when you're talking about inordinate wealth and inordinate fame, it kills people. It kills people. It destroys their soul, and they have no life whatsoever. Talk to the famous people. They'll tell you they have no life at all. No life at all. They can't control their life whatsoever. They can't go in public anywhere. They can't do anything. They have no freedom. And the ones that are really, really popular have paparazzi all over them. And you well, know, they have handlers, Doctor P. Yeah, handlers <laughs> and managers, handlers. and you know, you can't say this. You can't do this. On and on and on and on. And but in the bottom line is, you have somebody who is promising them something. Right. And that somebody who's promising them is the prince of wickedness, the prince of this world. Right. And the prince of this world is, you know, sits in a position of power. You know, it, Paul refers to him as being the prince of the air, occupying the second heaven. Right. And, uh, you know, and the prince of the air going around and, you know, throughout the world and exacting evil. And there's, you know, there's a tremendous amount. When you said Budapest, you know, that Steve Jobs went to Budapest. You know, I was in Prague. I almost died in Prague. And I had a real deathbed experience in Prague, meeting this dark lord who governs Eastern Europe, the one who overviewed Auschwitz, right? The one who watched the slaughter of the 18 million Germans following World War II. I met that dark prince, right? The soul of Genghis Khan, right? I mean, that's who it was, the soul of Genghis Khan. And, mm. you know, when you're talking about these dark entities, you know, to go and visit with them and say, yeah, hey, what can you do for me? No, that's not, that's not the conversation you want to have at all. Zero. Because once you have that conversation, you will end up in their camp owned Indebted. by Absolutely. Indebted. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this is what you see. And so you see a lot of the people in Hollywood, you know, most of them will tell you. I mean, the music business, they'll tell you point blank. Absolutely. One after another will tell you in the music business, you will confess Satan or you will have no career, period. Okay. Look at Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, um, again, another story of being influenced. Led Zeppelin, if you know the story of Led Zeppelin, they studied, not only did they study uh, Don Quixote uh, and his journey to Ixalan and the idea of tapping into uh, what we know today to be the DMT molecule, that's the molecule I was talking about earlier, but tapping into this unseen realm or this realm of influence where again, something is influencing the mind of the man and encouraging them uh, to choose or to go a particular way in order to achieve some sort of glory, uh, to have their names, you know, inscribed in the books of history. But the irony is that uh, they went so far as uh, living in uh, the house in which Aleister Crowley once lived, 
Um, if you know who Alistair, I'm sure our audience knows who Alistair Crowley is, but he had uh, the a house, uh, it was called uh, uh, the House of Thelema, right? It was uh, the House of Thelema. And there he practiced all of his necromancy, all of his satanic magic, and uh, even wrote books on how to uh, derive energy by raping children and murdering people. And so he was a, just a disgusting human being. Uh, but many people in the industry today, uh, Jay-Z, matter of fact, you know, do as you will. This is the whole book of the law. And he has the law of Thelema um, as well. And he lived in this abbey. It was the abbey of Thelema. And so they went and resided there. And it's there that they claim that the, the song, the store, uh, Stairway to Heaven was given to them, revealed to them. But again, Who's revealing this information? And I right. think it's, it's prevalent that we really understand that these influences are not only manifesting themselves today. They haven't gone anywhere yet, but they are setting us up. They are setting us up as a society, as a culture, as a people uh, to to partake in the great deception. And so I think it's wise, Dr. Pigeon, that we not only know a little bit about who our enemy is, but this way we can prepare our minds and take this serious dr p oh it has to be taken seriously Take you know and, serious. I, and i could tell you know jessica this is the thing that i find so ironic is that you know you have these musicians who are like okay i need to get into some kind of a seance and trance right, and yeah, absolutely. Give me the song yeah. so that i can write something popular and blah blah yeah. blah you know and then here you have this creation of music which was created by yah himself in an absolute perfection okay the rules of music exist metaphysically if you will whether or not mankind ever plays a single note, harmony exists, whether mankind ever plays a single note, whether there's a musician on earth, harmony, rhythm, uh, you know, melody, all of these things exist. And when you talk about this, you see such wonderful things that if you would just construct the music that Yah has given us, you would write beautiful music and it would be music that would soothe the soul and praise your maker. Hallelujah, like David with Saul. With David, with Saul, exactly. But Absolutely. instead, what you get is you get Led Zeppelin singing "All of My Love," which was dedicated to a uh, you know a dark prince, a dark demon, right? It was that's where what the song was dedicated to that. And you know, guess what you see? You know, you see these musicians, these artists. You know, I, I shouldn't say, but look, a lot of these artists lose their firstborn son. Okay. Absolutely. They yeah. do. And, you know, I mean, and this is the claim that Hasatan puts on their life. And, you know, and, and the thing is this takeaway that this takeaway that comes and, you know, and, you know, for those who have lost children, you know, I pray for you right now. May you be blessed. May you be comforted. May your mourning come to an end. But, you know, when you talk about um, when you talk about this idea of selling your soul to Satan, look, you're not selling your soul to Satan. You're selling your child's soul to Satan. You're selling your grandchild's soul to Satan. And you're selling your great-grandchild's soul to Satan. Okay? You're taking their life energy and plugging it into your own life. I mean, that's what you're doing. It's such an extremely self-centered uh, situation, what you would do in order to what? Eat more food? Uh, in order to vacuum a larger carpet? I mean, uh, what's the point? I mean, I don't get it. But you have a lot of people pursuing this kind of thing. And so... What you see with this influence of Hasatan in the music industry is that you see there's an idol worship going on. And, and it, this is told to us, Paul tells us this very clearly. All of these things are idolatry. Solomon says the same thing. All of this is vanity, right? Mm -hmm. Solomon tells you it's vanity. Paul tells you it's idolatry. You're worshiping something other than the creator. Right. 
Well, I want to worship my image. I want to worship my name. I want to worship my power. I want to worship my ego. I want to worship, you know, my good looks. I want to worship my money. I want to worship. I want to have a bigger house, a faster car, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And you get to a situation like uh, Simon Cowell. I mean, he bought the most expensive car in the world, drove it for a while. You know, did that, was that successful in keeping his relationship together? No, it didn't. It didn't keep his relationship together. The car never does. Money never does. Instead comes the curse of responsibility with that money that you either handle it responsibly, you either spend your time with it, babysitting it, taking care of it, nurturing it, or it goes away into the hands of another. And this is why you see so many rock and rollers, they'll have such a tremendous amount of wealth and then poof, right. they're in bankruptcy court three years later, right? Because what happened to all the wealth? Well, we don't know. We wanted it all, but we don't know what to do with it after we get it. And it goes out the window just like that. So the problem is, is that at some level you make a decision who you're going to follow. See, all the rest of the stuff follows from that, but initially you make a decision. I want to follow the creator I, or I want to follow his competitor. I want the things of you know this life and the life thereafter, or I'm going to sacrifice the life thereafter for the life here in order to accommodate my needs, my desires here, because I don't accept that there's a life thereafter. That's right. And the you life- Go ahead. Right. Well, I was just going to make a mention um, before you go on is, is, you know, we're talking about the influence of these entities and whether or not they exist today. And I, I wanted to point this out um, before you get into your study, because I don't want people to have a disconnect from what you're saying, thinking that this information is ancient and pertains to a particular time. But in fact, it actually pertains to us today. And what I'm trying to do is make it relevant to today. How exactly are we being influenced by these same entities? It's just the emperor has new clothes, right? Oh, well, yeah. And so, and he, does, he doesn't even have new clothes. He has no clothes. The emperor no clothes. has no clothes, right? Well, yeah, we need eyes to see. But, you know, in Genesis 6-4, before you get into your slides, Genesis 6-4, it does talk about these giants. But what's what's uh, the word I want to focus on here is men of renown. And so that word renown, and I'm looking it up here, is the word Shem. Or if you uh, say it in the English, which would be like Edenics of such, but it would be the shame. It would be the, the name shame, right? It's shame or Shem. Uh, but it's 8034. And it means honor. Uh, it means a position of influence. And there's another instance where it's used in Numbers 16:2, and this is in um, this is in relationship to the same word. But look at the contrast, Doctor Pigeon. So this is talking about corrupt men who desired for some reason or corrupt whatever the reason is. But this is a corruption of honor. And in, and in number 16.2, we see a genuine refraction of honor. It says, and they rose up before Moshe with, cert, uh, with certain of the children, with certain children of Yasharel, 250 princes. Okay. Uh, that's the word Nasi, 250 princes of the assembly famous in the congregation, men of renown. So it's funny that these words would be used, princes, fame and renown to describe those who Yahuwah had appointed to hold this type of shaman or oil or this type of anointing. I think that's the difference here is that there's a sense of when, when Yahuwah honors a man, it's in his humility to accomplish a task in which he has ordained or anointed him to do kind of like the Sefer in which you yourself was, was an, you were anointed to do this. And here we see this counterfeit 
right? This counterfeit anointing in which they will shine because this is what anointing means, right? Mashiach or this shemen, this oil, to shine with oil. So we think about the anointing. We think about the controversy and the anointing, what we're striving for here, competing is to shine the great glorious one, which in fact, Lucifer is a, a misinterpreted word, which is really the word halal, right? Or the howling one. The uh, howling like, one. Yeah. yeah, the howling one. And, but I mean, to think Dr. Pigeon that he would be called the bright and morning star. Again, it's about this brightness. It's about this concept of shining, right? Or being anointed to do something. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for your words, Jessica. You know, the anointing to do the Et Sefer is a project that Yah called us to do, you know, because we said, <laughs> yeah, we said, here I am, you know, send me. And he said, okay, I'm going to send you. And I'm like, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because wait minute. oil comes out of pressed olives, Dr. Pigeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly you right. Have, you're I, in the press. <laughs> but I got but I gotta tell you, I mean, Yaz has spoken to us greatly, you know, concerning oh, this effort. And I mean, one thing he told me, he said, Look, you either do it or I'll take it away from you and give it to someone else who will do it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so I can't I can't walk away from that. I can't say, Okay, gee, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day on that. I can't call it a day. It's what he told me to do. Right. And you know, and then and lately and he's told me, he said, Listen, you know, you either do the work that I want you to do, you do the work that I want you to do, your hand will be blessed. You don't do the work that I want you to do. Everything that every all the works of your hand will perish. So I mean, there it is. So, I mean, look, I have to do the work that he's called me to do. And you know, and I've prayed about books like Jasher and Enoch and and Jubilees and you know all these other books that have been added to the Sefer. We've prayed over and over and over and over about those books, and we've been confirmed in prayer over and over and over again that those books should be there. You know, and and I'll tell you, we're you know we are very happy with the work that we have done inside the book. Now it doesn't mean that our work is over. It's not over. It's not over. But we are very happy with the work that we are that we that we do. Right? Very happy uh, that it is the it is our best effort. It is excellence. It's not perfect, but it's our excellent work. Okay. Hallelujah. And that's yeah. all that he asks that we do. He says, hey, man that does good. This is Shaul talking. He says, they who do well what they have been called to do, honor them. And those who go above and beyond, honor them doubly. Dr. Oh, Pitchett, should we get into your study? Yeah, let's do you it. Ready? All right, okay, guys. I think it. everybody has, uh, they're just revved up and ready to go. Got lots of great comments. And again, just let me let, let them know real quick. Guys, if you want to have your questions answered, please make sure that you use the all caps feature so I can differentiate the, the questions from the comments. And Dr. Pigeon is able to see your questions. He's right here in the forum with me. He can see all the questions. So as he's able, he will answer them. But I would prefer that you make your comments right now and save the questions for later. And we will reserve some time so that uh, we can go over them. Again, just use the all caps feature. Uh, Dr. Pigeon, let me share the uh, screen here and the title of this particular show is the fallen ones all right here we go dr p all right get ready get ready for this yeah okay here we go the fallen ones okay so uh all right let's let's drop in here to uh let's drop into um slide well slide one the fallen ones are there really fallen watchers or is it an extra biblical hoax? A lot of people think, oh, don't talk about it. I mean, I've been in churches where like, you can't talk about that here. Don't talk about it here, go away, get out. 
So we're going to start with a passage that comes out of the book of Jude, okay? The book, we call it Yehuda, the book of Jude. This is in verses three through six. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the belief which was once delivered unto the Kodeshim. Okay, contend for the belief that was once delivered to the Kodeshim, to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, wicked men turning the grace of our Yah into lasciviousness and denying the only Adonai Yahuwah and our Adonai Yahusha HaMashiach. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that Yahuwah, having saved the people out of the land of Mitzrayim, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which did not guard their first estate, but left at their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, people who don't like discussion of the fallen watchers, okay, get out your, you know, get out your sharp knife, get out your, 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 uh, razor cutter, your box cutter, and cut the book of Jude right out of your text. You don't need that book. You need to get rid of it. You, you know, you have to make sure it's gone so that you don't have to read this text. Because guess what? Let's take a look and see what it says in the book of Hanok concerning this same phrase. And Hanok, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, Yahweh comes with ten thousands of his Kodeshim. You see, so we know there's at least 10,000 saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are wicked among them of all their wicked deeds, which they have wickedly committed and of all their hard speeches, which wicked sinners have spoken against him. Again, oh, excuse me, that's the book of Jude. I'm sorry. So here you see that in the book of Jude, we have Jude telling us what? He's telling us that Hanok that Hanok was in fact a, a, a character, a person who was talking about this wisdom. All right, now let's go back, I'm sorry, Jessica, let's go back to slide three if we can. This is from the book of Hanok. I, Hanok, was blessing the great Yahweh and king of peace, and behold, the watchers called me, Hanok the scribe. Then Yahweh said to me, Hanok, scribe of righteousness, go tell the watchers of heaven, who have deserted the lofty sky and their holy everlasting station. Now you see, Hanok and Jude completely agree that they left their everlasting station and who have been polluted with women and have done the same of men do by taking to themselves women and who have been greatly corrupted on the earth, that on the earth they shall never obtain peace and remission of sin, for they shall not rejoice in their offspring. They shall behold the slaughter of their beloved, shall lament for the destruction of their sons, and shall petition forever, but shall not obtain mercy and peace. Now, this is such a big deal because when we get into, when you read the Epic of Gilgamesh and you read the Scroll of the Giants, for instance, you'll see that they're basically lamentations because these Nephilim know, these giants know, they have no salvation. When they die, it's done. They're, they become demons. There's no chance of redemption. There's no chance of mercy. There's no chance of peace if forever, forever and ever. You see, very important con content taught. 
Okay, now we get into that passage of Jude in slide four where he says that they have committed wickedly and they have all of their hard speeches with wicked sinners have spoken against them. But in five, in slide five, we see Hanokse in chapter two, verse one. What does he say? Behold, he comes with 10,000 of his Kodashim to execute judgment upon them and destroy the wicked and reprove all the carnal for everything which the sinful and wicked have done and committed against him. And how did Jude put it in slide four? And Hanok, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, Yahweh comes with ten thousands of his Kodashim to execute judgment upon all. Where did he get such information, this Judah? Where did he get it? It's very clear. He's quoting from the book of Hanok. He's quoting from the book of Hanok. Okay? Okay, let's go slide six. Because there's a question. Is there such a word, watcher? You know, Steve, don't talk about the watchers when you come into our church. Uh, we don't want to hear it because the watchers are verboten. That's part of the Bible that we don't look at. It's the part of the Bible where the gold pages are still stuck together, together and we leave them stuck together. Okay, so here, Daniel. Well, wait a minute. Can't we look at the book of Daniel? Sure. Daniel chapter 4. I saw in the visions of my, uh, my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. Now, it's very clear here that we see... That, that Daniel, when he refers to this watcher, he refers to it as a watcher and a holy man. So it is, the word there for watcher is ir, ir, and the holy one is vekodesh, ir vekodesh, okay? And we have the exact same phrase is going to appear here later in Daniel 4.23. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one, right? A watcher and holy one is another way to put it. Ir the Kodesh coming down from heaven and saying, hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. Now, this is going to become a major prophetic statement, a major prophetic uh, time dating of 2,360 days or 2,360 years, which is identical to the prophecy of Menemenetekel Ufarsen found in the very next chapter in Daniel. So it's a huge prophetic statement. But the point being is that Daniel refers to holy watchers, Ir Vikodesh, okay? But these watchers that are coming down, these are not holy watchers. These are fallen watchers. And there is a word we're going to discover that describes them. Whereas we have Ir Vikadesh. Shalom, shalom, you guys. We have Ir Vikadesh, Kadesh. We're going to see there's a different word that talks about the fallen ear. Okay. So here and again, I'm showing in slide seven. I saw in the visions my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down. And then I show that watcher, it, the word is ir v'kodesh, ir, Strong's 8, 58, 94, a watcher, an angel, or guardian, all right? All right, let's jump into slide eight. Now, again, we're going to be looking at an extra scriptural text here, the book of Ju Jubilees, or Yov Helim, Yov Helim. Again, a text people say, oh, Jubilees is not inspired scripture. All right, for all of those who want to say what is inspired scripture and what isn't inspired scripture, first of all, I want you to tell me what the criteria is for inspired scripture. Okay, lay it out for me so that we know what's inspired scripture. 
And it has to be something other than, gee, the British Parliament decided what was, uh, what was uh, inspired and what wasn't in the Westminster Confession. Uh, it's going to have to be something more than that. And I'd like to see what those criteria are. I mean, we know that the first people to ever canonize scripture, i.e. the the Zadokian priesthood at Qumran, they had six copies of the Book of Jubilees, six copies, more than they had of the Torah of Moshe. But in this Book of Jubilees, we see the following. In the 29th Jubilee, in the first week, in the beginning thereof, Arpachshad. Arpachshad took unto himself a woman, and her name was Rasuya the daughter of Shushan, the daughter of Elam, right? Elam, of course, was the son of Shem, was the son of Shem, who would become the father of Persia. Arpachshad was the son of Shem, who would become the father of the Sumerian people. And she bore him a son in the third year in this week and called his name Canaan. Ah, no, okay, now wait a minute. Here we have Arpachshad, he, he's married, and she has a son, and they call his name Canaan. And the son grew and his father taught him writing. His father taught him writing. Okay, what language do you think Arpachshad taught to his son, Canaan, if it wasn't Hebrew? This is the second generation, right? Shem, Arpachshad, Canaan. Okay, and the son grew and his father taught him writing and he went to seek for himself a place where he might seize for himself a city. And he found a writing which former generations had carved on the rock and he read what was thereon, and he transcribed it and sin owing to it. Why? For it contained the teaching of the watchers in accordance with which they used to observe the omens of the sun and the moon and the stars in all the signs of the heavens. Okay. So here you see Arpachshad, third generation from Noah who is taught to read and write by his father, Arpachshad, excuse me, Canaan, who was taught to read by his father, Arpachshad, the son of Shem. And he finds a carving that had the teaching of the watchers, the teaching of the watchers. And he reads it and he learns how to observe omens of the sun and the moon and the stars and all the signs of heaven, okay? Not just signs of heaven, but omens, okay? important stuff. And he sinned owing to it. Now you might say to yourself, oh, Canaan, look, get out of here. There is no Canaan. If you go back and you look at the book of Jubilees, you'll see, or the book of Genesis, you'll see it goes from Arpachshad to Shelach. There's no Canaan. If you look in first Chronicles, you see it goes from Arpachshad to Shelach. There's no Canaan. Even in the book of Jasher, there's no Canaan. But what does it say in the gospel of Luke? The gospel of Luke. Okay, Luke chapter 3, oh, I'm going to begin at verse 34. Which was the son of Yaakov, which was the son of Yitzhak, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Terak, which was the son of Nahor, which was the son of Sarug, which was the son of Reu, which was the son of Peleg, which was the son of Eber, which was the son of Shelak, which was the son of Canaan. What? Now, wait a minute. What's Luke doing here talking about Canaan, Shelach being the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arpachshad, when it's not mentioned in Genesis, not mentioned in First Chronicles, not mentioned in the Kings, not mentioned in Samuel, not even mentioned in Jasher. Where did Luke get the name Canaan? Where did he get that name? He got it from one source and one source only, the book of Yovhelim, the book of Jubilees, okay? 
Now, why was Canaan omitted from those other, those other texts? Primarily because he found the writing of the watchers and taught it and sinned owing to it. And that's why they tried to delete his name, all right? Which was the son of Arpachshad, which was the son of Shem, the son of Noach, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, which the son of Hanok, which was the son of Yered, the son of Machalel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enosh, the son of Shet, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of Elohim. Okay, so important stuff, Canaan. Canaan, and why was he omitted from the, from the lineage and everybody's lineage except Luke's? Because he found the writings of the watchers. All right, we talked about the Ir HaKodesh. Now let's talk about the Ir Hanafal. Okay, Genesis 6, 4. The new translation in the Sefer, in the Et Sefer. There were Nephilim in the earth in those days. Now you see, look, look carefully. Not Nephilim, Nephil, Nafal. There were Nephilim in the earth in those days who also gathered afterward. Okay? There were Nephilim in the earth in the days of the flood who also gathered souls afterward. Who gathered souls afterward. Okay? When the sons of Elohim came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children unto them, the same became warriors and tyrants, which were from everlasting mortal men of the name. Now, you were talking about this earlier, Jessica, and I think you raised a really good point, right? You said that, they, that you had this name, Enosh Shem, right? Or Shem Enosh, Enosh. Okay. When you look at this word Enosh, we looked at it and we said, okay, well, what, what does this mean? So it was a men of renown. Well, it's actually mortal men of renown, mortal men of renown. But nobody would add mortal to the word because everybody assumed that men were mortal. Therefore, we don't have to talk about it. Well, everybody knows men are mortal. You can just leave mortal out and everybody knows man's mortal. So just men of the name or men of renown. Men of what of what renown? The renown of the name, the Shem, right? The renown of the name. All right. Now, but what's so important here? There were Nephilim in the earth in those days fallen ones. If you look up here on the left, you'll see I have this Strong's H5307 showing that this word nafal means a primitive root and it means to fall, to be cast down, to fall away or to be judged. So if you have an ear nafal, you have a judged watcher or a fallen watcher. Okay. So for the purpose of this discussion, Nephilim, and it is written in the Hebrew as Nephilim, not Nephilim. You see the Nephil, if you, if those of you who know Hebrew, you can see it up there, Nun Pe Lamed, Nun Pe Lamed. There's no Yod that would fit right there between the Nun and the Pe. There would be a Yod there in Nephil, Nephil. But the Yod is missing. It is Nephil, and that is the word that appears in Genesis 6. Four, Nafal. All right, let's continue. Let's take a look and see what Jubilees has to say about this. And it came to pass when the children of men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born unto them that the angels of Elohim saw them on a certain year of this Jubilee that they were beautiful to look upon and they took themselves all, took themselves women of all whom they chose and they bore unto them sons and they were Nafalim. And they were Nafalim. 
Now, what's interesting here about this particular passage is that you have something specific here in the book of Jubilees identifying the very Jubilee sequence in which these watchers fell. In fact, they say it was a certain year, a certain year of the Jubilee, okay? Now, I'm not sure where it is, but my guess is around the fifth Jubilee, but I'm not sure because I don't have it in front of me right now. But I can tell you that we have the same thing in Hanok. Hanok says, look, they didn't come down here and mate with apes and create humankind. Humankind was here for seven generations, seven generations before these watchers fell. They were tempted by women and came down with existing women, human women, okay? And the ones that did were Nafalim, Nafalim. Okay, how about in the book of Hanok here in slide 12? The book of Hanok, then they took women, each choosing for himself whom they began to approach and with whom they cohabited, teaching them. Now, here we talk about what we talked about earlier, Jessica, what they taught, okay? Hanok tells them, this is what they taught them, sorcery, incantations, and the dividing of roots and trees, okay? Now, this is such an important part when you talk about sorcery and incantation. You know, one somebody mentioned earlier tonight in one of the comments about John D. and Francis Bacon. Of course, Francis Bacon was one of the chief interpreters of the KJV. John D. was the top advisor to, to um, Queen Elizabeth I. But, you know, you have to remember that John D. was one who developed the idea of incantation for summoning demons. Okay? But he wasn't the only one. I mean, incantation was used inside the Catholic Mass from the very beginning of time that the Catholic Mass taught incantation, that is, to, the priest would do incantation in Latin to require the soul of Mashiach to appear in the Eucharist and in the wine where he could be sacrificed anew. That is the very center and the very heart of the Catholic Mass, is incantation to summon the soul, okay? So sorcery and incantation, a lot of these things go hand in hand with one another. Necromancy, contacting the dead, sorcery of uh, conjuring up and of course incantations which is chanting if you will chanting in various uh, languages or phrases in order to rouse the soul to rouse the soul which could even be a dead soul okay and the women conceiving brought forth nafalim and they bore to them three races first the great nafalim the fallen ones the Nephilim brought forth the Nephilim, and the Nephilim brought forth the Eliud, and they existed increasing in power according to their greatness, whose stature was each 300 cubits. These devoured all the labor of men until it became impossible to feed them. Now, some people say, oh, come on, Steve, 300 cubits, that would be a 600-foot-tall giant, right? Well, let's take a look at our next slide here out of Ezekiel. Okay, the cubit may only be a hand width. Okay, and these are the measures of the altar and the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and and a, or is a hand, okay? Breath, even the bottom shall be a cubit and the breadth of cubit and the border thereof and by the edge roundabout should be a span and this should be the high places of the altar. Okay, now look, is this uh, set in stone that a cubit is only a hand with? No, but you see the word is in this passage. The cubit is a cubit and is a hand breath. The word is does not appear in the passage. You don't get that in Hebrew. There's no is in Hebrew. If you read the Hebrew, you will see that there is no is in that passage. So the cubit, it actually says the cubit, cubit and hand breath. 
is how it reads in the Hebrew. But if you in, if you're going to inject one is, let's inject another is. A cubit is a cubit and is a hand breath. And so if it's a hand breath, if the cubit's only a hand breath here, right? A hand breath like this, boom, boom, from here to here, from here to here, the hand width, the cube it, cubit, the cubit is a hand width. Well, that makes the giant somewhere from 75 to 100 feet tall. That's a lot different than 600 feet, right? A lot different. Okay. Now, the Nephilim here, going back to Jubilees, we see in Jubilees chapter 7, verse 22, and they begat sons, the Nephilim, and they were all unlike. They were all unlike. Each one was an individual, like human beings are individuals. And they devoured one another. And the Nephilim slew the Nephil, and the Nephil slew the Elu, and the F and the Elu, or Elyo, slew mankind, and one man slew another. So, you know, bad times, murder, murder everywhere, right? And what, and of course, what they're not telling you here is that. It was cannibalism. They not only did they kill him, but they also ate him. They also ate him. Okay. So were the giants, were these Nephilim seen again? That's a question. You know, after the flood, what, didn't all these guys get wiped out? So why would there be Nephilim again? Well, let's see. Were there? Is there any record of that? Well, let's look at the Tanakh. Let's look at the 66 book redacted canon and see if it appears anywhere in there for people who are afraid of the extra scriptural stuff. All right. Well, here it is, the Midbar, Numbers, chapter 13, verse 33. Now, this is going to be an incredibly important verse, okay? And there we saw at the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, not Enoch, but Anak, which come of the Nephilim. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So here you're talking about during the time of the Exodus, when they were searching out the land, they come into the land and they see giants. They see Nephilim, which were the sons of Anak, who came of the Nephilim. Now, look, you can look Anak up all you want. Go check it out. Pull it up in the, in the Texas Receptus and do a word search in, in Hebrew and see if you can find his father. You will not find the father of Anak anywhere. Why not? Because he was a child of the Nafal. He was a child of the Ir Nafal, the fallen watchers, Anak. And he, because he was a child of the fallen watchers, he spread his DNA throughout the Nephilim, the sons of the Nephilim. See, it says here, we saw Nephilim, that is more than one, Nephilim giants, who were the sons of Anak. Now, there are other passages that name these sons, in particular, what their names were which come of the Nephilim, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. In other words, we all agreed that we were grasshoppers compared to them. Okay, in the book of Hanok, going back to again Hanok, let's see what they have to say here. Hanok has got something very interesting to say about these Nephilim and Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim, this is from Hanok chapter 15, verse 8. Now, the Nephilim, who have been born of the Ruach and of flesh, shall be called upon the earth evil Ruachot, or evil spirits, and on earth shall be their habitation. Evil Ruachot shall proceed from their flesh. Okay, now did you hear this? Evil spirits shall proceed from their flesh. Evil spirits shall proceed from their flesh because they were created from above and from the holy watchers 
was their beginning and primary foundation. But evil rule coat shall they be upon the earth and the rule coat of the wicked shall they be called the spirit of the wicked, the spirits of the wicked, they shall be called. The habitation of the rule coat of heaven shall be in heaven, but upon earth shall be the habitation of the terrestrial rule coat, the terrestrial spirits who are born on earth. Now, you see, we talked about this again at the beginning, talking about the rakia existing between the heavenly waters and the waters below. And these left their heavenly estate to come here to the rakia because of their lust for women. And they are trapped here. They're terrestrial ruachot, according to Hanok, and they are evil ruachot. They are evil ruachot. All right? Very clear. Okay. Hanok goes on to say in chapter 15, verses 9 through 10, the ruachot of the Nephilim are like clouds which shall oppress, corrupt, fall, content, and bruise upon the earth. Okay? Now, do you see they're going to corrupt? You see, this is, it's very clear. Hanukkah is telling us, Jessica, right here, that these evil ruachot, the spirit of these Nephilim, are, they're like clouds. They're like clouds. And they will oppress. They will corrupt. They will cause people to fall. They will contend. They will bruise people upon the earth. You see, even bruise people upon the earth. I've talked to people who've had confessions about this stuff where they've had an evil spirit in their house choking them to death they thought they were going to die because there was an actual physical man manifestation of somebody choking them you know of some spirit choking them to do what they have the capability to bruise upon the earth to oppress and equally important to corrupt they shall cause lamentation they don't need to eat food they don't need to drink they shall, you see, they, neither, they, no food shall they eat, and they shall be thirsty, they shall be concealed, and they shall rise up against the sons of men and against women, for they come forth during the days of slaughter and destruction. Now, there are many of us, including, you know, Tom Horn and others, who believe that uh, these days of slaughter and destruction that are immediately ahead of us in this impending World War III that in fact, these evil rule coat will rise up against men and women. They will come out of concealment to rise up against men and women and to come forth in the days of slaughter to do all of the things that they do. Okay. And Hanok goes on to say in chapter 16, verse 1, and as to the death of the Nephilim, wheresoever their rule coat depart from their bodies, let their flesh, that which is perishable, be destroyed before judgment. Okay, their flesh goes away. Thus shall they perish until the day of the great con uh, consummation of the great world. A destruction shall take place of the watchers and the impious. Now, of course, this prophecy that appears here in Hanok 16.1 also appears in the Apocalypse of Peter. It appears in the Apocalypse of John. It appears in a lot of ap apocalyptic literature because everybody knows the impious and the watchers are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Okay. All right. Next slide here. Hanok chapter 16, verse two through five. And now to the watchers who have sent you to pray for them. Now this is Yah speaking. Okay. And he's speaking to Hanok. And now to the watchers who have sent you to pray for them, who in the beginning were in heaven, say, in heaven have you been? Secret things, however, have not been manifested to you 
yet you have known a reprobated mystery. And this you have related to women in the hardness of your heart. And by that mystery have women and mankind multiplied evils upon the earth. Say to them, never therefore shall you obtain peace. Now, you see, when you talk about does Hasatan have an evil that he can impart to our modern world? Is he, uh, you know, uh, imparting this evil to women and mankind? And the answer is yes, it is a reprobated mystery. It is a reprobated mystery that they have, that they have imparted to mankind. Okay, let's take a look at the next slide. The reprobated mystery. Let's see if we can figure this baby out. The reprobated mystery is most likely what? Hybridization. Hybridization, and in particular, watcher human hybridization, although the scroll of giants indicates watcher animal hybridization. All right. Now, Jessica, this is why it's so good to have you as co-hostess here. Because we know that, you know, in studying microbiology uh, and, and in other forms of biology, we know that it was very, very difficult for species to become other species. In fact, it was impossible until there was a mapping of the genome. Now, you could do a reduction in species. Like, for instance, you could take one dog and mate with, mate it with another dog, and you're going to end up with some kind of dog. But right. you can't take a dog and mate the dog with the cat. You can graft the two, right? Yeah. And so, but what happened was during the time of the watchers, they were able to do just that, this hybridization, right? So species are reproductively isolated by strong barriers to hybridization, which include morphological differences, different differing times of fertility. You know, for instance, a cow may have a, a, a nine-month gestation period. A dog has got a four-month gestation period, right? Uh, mating behaviors and cues, uh, physiological rejection of sperm cells or developing embryo. Some act before fertilization and others after it. But the completion of the Human Genome Reference Assembly in 2003 marked a major milestone in genome research and is allowing for de novo assemblies of other species. Okay, so I have a question okay. in that regard. So this is, I'm, this is just a question. I just received this question. So is it possible, what is your opinion regarding dinosaurs and the fact that some people believe that these were a byproduct um, of this type of engagement in which this, you know, the, they were this hybridization and or those species that went extinct. Um, could it have been because of the corruption that was taking place at that time? I mean, what, what's your take on, or is that nonsense? No, no, that's not nonsense. That is a great question. And I think it's a very important question. I mean, well, first of all, you have two things going. We know there are some species like sturgeon or uh, alligators, for instance. Snakes that, have feet. <laughs> yeah, they just keep growing their whole yeah, life. You know, yeah. human beings stop growing, but these animals do not. They keep growing their whole life. Now, if death didn't come into the world with Adam, how long would these creatures have lived? They could have lived two, three, five hundred, eight hundred years, a thousand years. A creature that keeps growing for a thousand years is going to be an extremely large creature, right? However, we do know that when you have a hybrid, 
Right. Like if you take a GMO, a GMO has no seed. Self-life, yeah. Or it has seed, but it can't reproduce. Yeah. However, let's take a look at this next slide here, slide 21. The Scroll of the Giants. Now, this is a Dead Sea Scroll. We got, I've got a couple excerpts from the Dead Sea Scroll, Scroll of the Giants, okay? Reveals hybridization with man and animals. Mm, like chimeras. Like chimeras, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, the 200 angels chose animals on which to perform unnatural acts, including presumably humans. So in this is 1Q23 fragment 1 plus 6 from the Dead Sea Scrolls. 200 chose two donkeys, 200 asses, 200 rams of the flock, 200 goats, 200 beasts of the field from every animal, from every bird for miscegenation. All right. Now, let's go one more slide here. In 22, we'll take a look at uh, another fragment, which says what? Two, uh, okay, so, oh, no, I'm sorry, that's got the same, I'm sorry, that's repetitive, I'm sorry. That's okay. Let me see. Yeah, so what you see here is that when you're talking about this miscegenation, when you look at something like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right. The Tyrannosaurus Rex appears as an anomaly in the historical Absolutely. record. Absolutely. Like, there's, there's no generation there. All of a sudden, it just shows up. And you have this bipedal animal, a bipedal right. animal with a tail that has hands like human hands, and right. it's got an opposing thumb, right. and its joints function the same way a human being joints. Like, you know, a dog's legs or a, a right. horse's legs, they go backwards, but these have forward legs, right? Bipedal, with hands, with an opposing thumb, and yet they're mated with some kind of, you know, you know major, you know, eating something and they were giants so what you're talking about is it's very very possible that many of the dinosaurs that were predator dinosaurs were in fact nephilim they were in fact chimera that were that were these giants that were created from yeah, exactly right. so it was a hybridization so when we talk about this hybridization this hybridization is the reprobated mystery okay it's the reprobated mystery that they were able to do. They were able to cross species and create Nephilim. And this is what the great mystery is when you talk about this reprobated mystery. And this is why a lot of churches say, well, don't bring Enoch in here. We don't want to talk about this because it's too great of a mystery. It's a reprobated mystery because you're trying to tell us, you know, if you go back before, if you go to 2002, for instance, 2002, we had not mapped the genome. You could not do de novo assemblies of DNA to create these new species. So in 2002, you say, oh, well, they had this capability. And the science community would say, oh, baloney, that's not possible because of the genome and all these improbable barriers, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, bada boom, 2003, possible. Right. As it was in the day of Noah, so it shall be in the times of the coming of the Son of Man. And so here we are. And so we're that's now why many of them became extinct, because their genetics were weak. And uh, as they continued to manipulate uh, and learn about geneticists, uh, genetics and learning how to manipulate the DNA, the chromatin and the chromosomes, um, that as they progress, like we know currently that, um, reading an article here from MIT, that China is has actually announced that they are allowing their scientists to uh, intermingle or to mix human DNA with animal DNA. And they announced this to the world, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Pigeon, but my theory is that this is not new information. I believe that they'd actually been doing this stuff 
underground because it's inhumane. I mean, they, they if they pr pronounce it to the public while they're making mistakes, while they're going to have, um, you know, mistakes that are made, they're going to have to kill off some of these mistakes, whether they be animals or half human hybrids, whatever they are. But what are they going to do with these babies that don't live past a week or two? And people will, you know, protest against this type of act. But if they could do it for so many years and then maybe perhaps get to the point where they say, aha, we have success. We can offer this now as new technology to the public with no mistakes. And we're going to present a beautiful hybrid and people will say, oh, look it, it didn't cost us anything. No babies were harmed, no animals were harmed and we have success. Yeah, and it's very scary. Is that, do you think that's why a lot of those animals were, you know, became extinct because their genes were so weak? Yeah, well also because they were seedless. They didn't, they couldn't mate. They were oh, hybrids like the donkey and they couldn't mate. Monsanto. Exactly, GMOs. like the, like the oh. GMO, <laughs> like like uh, uh, like mules. Mules cannot, you know. There's, okay. a, I believe it's mules. Mules cannot. Mules, yes. Uh, you know, they're a, they're a GMO too. They cannot mate. You have to you create a mule every generation. And similarly, okay. you know, in the when you talk about the Chinese, look, that's already been done. Okay. Right. There, exactly. There's been human DNA introduced into pigs, and so a lot of the pork you're getting out of China has mixed human DNA in it. It's like a lot of the the farmed salmon that you get out of the Atlantic farms is you know has eel uh, as part of its genetic code. You know, eel mm -hmm. is not a kosher food. You know, salmon is kosher, eel is not, and you know, pork is never a kosher food. But who wants to eat pork and human? You know, and so and well, and they some, use they use the pig skin to in medical procedures today as mesh. Uh, they use it uh, because it is the closest to human. You know, matter of fact, here in America, uh, the Native Americans, there's this dish, a very famous dish, something called pesole. And if nobody knows this, you're going to be stunned here in just a minute. But pesole is something, it's a soup that we would eat. It's very traditional in our culture. And it's got, you know, it's hominy with some sort of like meat. Uh, and so we use chicken and like a chili sauce. And it's really good, Dr. Pigeon. But back in the day, um, the Native Americans, they would actually sacrifice humans. And to pay tribute to the sacrifice, they would take the human flesh. And they would use the human flesh in this dish called pesole. You can look this up at uh, anywhere online. And so they would use this and they would the community would then eat the human flesh with corn or hominy. When the conquistadors or the Spanish came, uh, they outlawed human consumption or cannibalism and replaced it, Dr. Pigeon, with pig or swine because it was the closest to human flesh. It was satisfying to them. Uh, it tasted most like yeah, human yeah. flesh. Yeah, scary stuff, scary, scary stuff. And, you know, when you look at this, you know, when we talk about this, you know, one day we will do a show on this too, Jessica, when we talk about... Um, the idea of uh, teraphim, you know, beheading your, your enemy. Right. And then, you know, when you think about it, you know, you behead your enemy and then you bring his head home and you put his head out on your front porch. So mm. now when this kid comes over and wants to date your daughter and he sees six <laughs> head on the front porch, he goes, well, maybe I don't want to date this guy's daughter, right? right? Because he gets the message. But on the same hand, you have this whole idea of, you know, talking to the teraphim is, you know, now you're talking to the teraphim, you're engaged in idol worship and necromancy. Uh, but it's the same thing as praying to the saints. It has the same spiritual impetus. You're praying to somebody who is dead that doesn't exist anymore or, you know, whose flesh doesn't exist anymore. And 
uh, you know, you have no business praying to a saint. You need to pray directly to Yah. Uh, and it's, you know, if you're, you know, you're praying to a human head in front of your house or if you're praying to the, you know, the moose head that you got hanging up over the fireplace, you know, same death. But when you talk about these teraphim and this idea of beheading the beheading your enemy, then what they did with the flesh. And you see, you make a very good point of it, that the flesh was consumed. People say, well, there's no record in the Bible about cannibalism, but there is a record of Moses abolishing it by by statute, thou shalt not eat human flesh, right? I mean, you get a, a strict scriptural prohibition from eating human flesh that shows up in the Torah in two different places. So, you know, if if there's a if there's a proscription for it in in the uh, in the Torah, then it must have been going on. It must have been the practice. No, I submit to you that it's always been the practice in humankind that they have been engaged in cannibalism, one one tribe after another. If no one says no, then people eat it. People do it. And, uh, you know, it isn't until we got into the modern world that we discovered the kinds of diseases that eating human flesh brings. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like mad cow disease, only different. But, you know, this idea of cannibalism has been practiced in every culture on, on Earth. And so to try to pretend it, it doesn't, I think, disregards the hard, cold facts. What blows my mind is that pig or pork closely resembles human flesh. And here we have a culture in love with, obsessed with pork. And I mean, by who knows, Dr. P, like you said, if they have spliced the the DNA of a, of a pig with perhaps maybe human DNA, then people are technically, I mean, what if Dr. P, what if they are ingesting human DNA? Yeah. I mean, I think it's very possible. I mean, I'm up here in, in uh, Vancouver, Canada right now. And I'll tell you, they had a case up here. that was a serial murder uh, down here uh, in a town called Surrey who had a pig farm and it wasn't just him, but it was part of a whole, uh, there's, you know, there's a dark side to Canada that uh, includes a lot of uh, child slaughter and and uh, child sacrifice and, you know, ritual protest, uh, prostitute murders and so on and so forth. And they would um, they take the, the, the dead sacrificed child or the sacrificed woman and they would feed it to the pigs. And so these pigs ate. They don't know. I mean, anywhere from 30 to 80 women uh, plus they don't know how many kids. And then they would slaughter these pigs and would come into the food supply into Canada. And so everybody in Vancouver was asking themselves the question, you know, those who were enjoying Canadian bacon, like, uh, have we consumed human DNA? Well, the pigs were certainly consuming it. And when you're talking about, and of course, now we know that there is a lot of um, human DNA that's being used in flavor additives right. uh, that if they've taken stem from cells. embryonic stem cells and that's embryonic right. tissue that they use yeah. for flavor additives. And now you have the food supply outside the United States, which is, you know, arguably being manipulated with human DNA. Right. So why would they, Yeah, yeah, vaccination. So why would people keep... Why would they do this? Why would they keep feeding us uh, human DNA? Because, of course, the dark one wants cannibalism to return. Of course right. he does. He wants cannibalism to return. And, uh, you know, and, and eventually, I mean, I, I've never understood. It. It's like, okay, don't we have enough food? No, no, we don't have enough food. <laughs> it's like, why do you have to feed cows, uh, you know, cow remains? Can't yeah. you just feed them grain? Oh, no, we want to feed them remains of cows. We want to put that in their food. Why do you want to do that? I mean, they know that's the source of mad cow disease. Why do they want to do that? Why can't you just feed them grain? 
Why do you got to feed them more? Why do you got to turn your cows into cannibals? I, I, I don't get it. You know, back in the 1800s, before the FDA was institutionalized or um, instituted, I'm sorry, before the FDA was instituted uh, to govern over our food consumption, uh, uh, factory workers would report. And again, this was back in the 1800s before, you know, media cared about what was going on behind the scenes. But factory workers would go into the meat houses and prepare the meat for the communities to sell at the local markets and men were getting their fingers chopped off uh their hands chopped off dr pigeon uh their arms they would lose you know skin and hands and fingers all the time because these machines were not the best and uh the the owners they didn't weren't going to lose the money so they would basically just say well what can we do we're not going to throw away you know all this grounded you know ground meat so guess what people were actually eating they were consuming human tissue and ironically at night um rats cockroaches bugs. oh yeah 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 and i remember reading this i learned this in history in school i was just flabbergasted but until people began to complain and go to the newspapers and the newspapers began to report that people were eating i mean you can look this stuff up people at one time were eating they were being lied to and then this is how the fda came about uh because they needed somebody to regulate or oversee uh, the production of these manufacturers. Yeah, like so they eliminated the job. amount. They eliminated <laughs> the amount of rat you could have in a hot dog, <laughs> and you know they put a limit um, on that. You, you only get twelve rats per thousand hot dogs. You know Dr. that's P, it. That's the limit. Know, you want to know what food source? Because again, being uh, studying nutrition and dietetics, we have to do you know re research on this stuff. And recently, we did. Do you know what food product has uh, the most contamination of bugs? Um, uh, from your local supermarkets. Uh, this is why you want to wash everything. But at night, when they go close the store down, rats, cockroaches, bugs run over all the produce, believe it or not, uh, which is what makes it most filthy. This is why you want to clean it. But spices, Dr. Pigeon, spices, uh, if you get them ground already, which is why I buy whole spices and grind them myself. But if you get your spices in those little containers, uh, more than likely, and again, this is just statistics, but spices are known to have the most contamination of other elements <laughs> that are not spices. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that, that sure puts a new spice on that thing, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, this wow. Is why I believe that the Father has given us his food laws, and they're really simple. But the irony, Dr. Pigeon, is that Yahuwah says that this is the way that the human body is fueled, and this is how we are to, to maintain this, this temple of his. And the irony is that when we uh, eat these things that are an abomination to the body, then we ourselves become unclean for a specific amount of time. What does it mean to be unclean? Well, it means to be segregated from him for that set amount of time. Now, we may take on the mentality that, oh, well, I just, it was a piece of bacon. But to be honest, the mentality is not necessarily the bacon, but the fact that you have the potential to be segregated from the source of life. Who wants that? If you have the kind of mindset that says, oh, well, it doesn't matter if I eat this or eat that. Well, what, what does matter? Is he looking for a heart of a people and their heart to say, I don't want to be segregated from you. That's what death is, is it not? So even though we see redemption coming through and he says, oh, you're unclean until nightfall and you can come back into the presence of the community. But still, who wants that? So if you think about why the enemy would want to contaminate 
an entire populace, I think it's so that they can remain segregated, even in their ignorance. Oh, because sure. Isn't that Whatever what it takes to bring distance between right. you and your maker. That's because what if, I, if I can turn you away from him here, now I can speak into your ear Absolutely. there, and you've Absolutely. got I have a better chance of you hearing me this time because you're pushed away from your maker. Absolutely. Right. So oh, yeah. my, my question to bring you back to your slides here was that um, regarding Noah's flood, and I know that you were going to touch on that just now regarding the flood. So your last slide, you had come to the conclusion that the Dead Sea Scroll Fragments, which is the book of the giants, revealed hybridization. And so we were discussing, you know, modern day hybridization and what is becoming popular. And before you talk about this right here, Dr. Pigeon, I just want to say to our viewers, we recently did a show, you and I, it was called The Abomination of Pride. We didn't talk about homosexuals. We talked about the principalities that are ruling this particular agenda. You know, Dr. Pigeon, I truly believe that corrupted science, the powers that be, the desire to manipulate and corrupt science are the ones who allowed and perhaps there's something more sinister, but think about this, Dr. Pigeon, just a minute. Here we have a society who is saying, hey, I was born female with all the DNA of a female, all the chromosomes of a female, but guess what? I'm, a, I'm not a female, I'm a, I'm a boy, I'm a man, okay? This is actually a slap in the face of science, is it not? Does this not discredit everything that science says? Why has science allowed this type of, it's preposterous is what it is, but why have they allowed this to commence and even be taught in our education systems? Dr. Pigeon, well, now we have science is now saying, hey, let it go because it brings about a spirit of confusion. But now we have scientists that are coming out saying, hey, it's okay. You want to be a boy, even though genetically you're a girl? Fine but we're going to go ahead and do the same thing. We're going to start mixing fabrics, so to speak. We're going to mix human DNA with other types of DNA. And you can't say nothing about it because you're a boy wanting to be a girl. Well, guess what? I want to mix a rat with a baby because yeah, or I, want a, yeah. I, want, I want a baby to have lungs so that they could be like Aquaman and we can have superhumans or so we can have Ubermensch or we can have the super soldier. That's exactly right. The super soldiers have already been created in the labs um, and when you're talking that. about this when you talk about this kind of dna and this kind of process you know the cutting edge of science is of course transhumanism that's right. right and it's the idea that okay well what we need to do is we need to be able to transmit all of our brain our consciousness which is intangible we want to translate our consciousness into some kind of robot so we can live forever right. well we won't live forever you'll have a robot that has a memory that used to be you right that has your old data on it right uh, until that robot becomes self-aware and realizes how useless that information is, then he himself uh, e exterminates it, right? I mean, it's, but but people are on this, they want to push into transhumanism, they want to push into this. And so when you talk about transgenderism or any kind of transformation where you're talking about moving away from what is naturally there to something that is unnaturally there and to do it by you know, physical means, whether you're talking about surgery, you're talking about steroid injections, you're talking about, you know, uh, hormone injections, whatever it is that's going on that is trying to change your contours from who you are to something else, it may be physically possible to do, but what you're doing is it's some kind of a transhuman, it's a transgenderism, it's a transformation, it's something other than just saying natural. And of course, science, you know, first of all, science, modern science is the greatest body of prostitutes on earth.
I mean, you know, they they only open their mouth if they're getting paid and then they say whatever they need to say in order to keep that check coming in. That's why we had the global warming hoax going on for 30 years now. They were getting paid to say it. And anybody who doesn't speak up, who, who speaks against it, doesn't get any more money coming in. It's the same thing with evolution. If you watch uh, Ben Stein's movie, Expelled, it's very clear that anybody who does not toe the evolution line gets kicked out of the scientific community. Yeah. Because right. it's just nothing but a brothel. It's just nothing but a bunch of prostitutes <laughs> saying whatever they want to say, you know. And so the scientific community is essentially worthless. There's no integrity there. I mean, if they get published with a peer-reviewed article, great. That's Nobody right. reads it anyway. Nobody. And and then the science that comes out in 1980 is taught in the school systems until 2025, even though the guy who came out with the science, i.e. Stephen Hawking, refutes it two years later and says, I was an ignorant idiot. Nonetheless, the school systems teach it and teach it over and over and over again. All right. So when you talk about this, uh, uh, you know, when, when we're uh, when we're talking about um, this, you know, the scientific community and what they're doing. Yeah, they're going to embrace all kinds of transgenderism because they want to move into transhumanism. Right. They want this hybridization. OK, and here we go. Reprobated mystery. Only this time, the hybridization they want is a hybridization that is uh, the hybridization of human and robot, human and artificial intelligence joined together, cyborg, transhumanism. People say, well, I don't want to be a cyborg. Yeah. I remember I was at a conference, at a Legends conference in Missouri, and a guy speaking, this professor, he was saying, okay, how many people want to just say natural and how many people want to be a cyborg where you have an implant, you know, an artificial intelligence implant put in your brain to make you smarter, quicker, wiser, faster, exactly. blah, blah, blah. blah. Right. And, and they're all saying, no, we don't want that. We're, they voted and everybody was opposed to it. And all the people that were opposed to it were sitting there holding a smartphone in their hand, surfing their email while they were saying this. What are you talking about? You can vote with your hand all day long, but you already voted with your wallet six years ago, and you're sitting with your smartphone completely hooked up. You're already cyborg. You're already cyborg. We become the consciousness of technology, Dr. P. Um, you know, it's interesting because this, again, is the philosophy of uh, Frederick Nietzsche. I mean, Frederick Nietzsche, was, he loathed the concept of God or creator uh, or even being governed by uh, something other than his own consciousness or his own free will. But Frederick Nietzsche, he actually wrote uh, against the concept of God, trying to kill God. Matter of fact, one of his books was uh, the, the case of killing God or something like that. Uh, but he wrote about the concept of killing God, which he believed was a concept that we created in our own image. But what's interesting is that uh, his Ubermensch theory is where we get the concept of a superhuman is nothing new. Uh, it's actually been floating around since the beginning of time that we could accelerate and go beyond our own limitations. And this is exactly what I believe was taunted in the garden, Dr. Pigeon, was the concept, like you explained earlier in your presentation, that these sources of influence or this, this necromancy speaking to that which is dead or fallen or corrupt, um, and then that individual being inspired to believe the lie and pursue it to the point of death themselves or the point of corruption, which in the end, like you said, 
There's no satisfaction. There's no relief. There's no peace for the soul. And so what they solicit is their integrity, their core self. They become MK altered or mind controlled uh, by the industry. They become puppets, beta controlled, all these things that they have. They become molested. They're molested by the industry. Dr. Pigeon, this is exactly what happened in the garden. The woman's intellect or wisdom, Hava being full of wisdom, was molested by a lie. And she then succumbed to that lie because of the lust of her flesh, the lust of her eye, the pride of her life. And now what we see today is the same thing happening where I believe, Dr. Pigeon, that the enemy will come in these last days and even more so will present to the world the idea that, guess what? Aliens have come from the planet Nibiru and or uh, you were talking about a fallen star. I really want to hear about that. Uh, but, you know, them coming to this this planet and guess what? The idea of having extraterrestrial life and making us superhumans where we don't have to taste the state right. of death. Right. Right. And of course, that's what the whole game is about. Right. Well, if I can transform myself into a robot, I can become transhumanized, then I will not die. Well, that's pound foolishness because you don't recognize the you don't recognize the soul. And so many of these people are sitting there, they're living in the flesh and their unborn soul sits here on their shoulder waiting for their for its birth and their its birth is never going to happen because they deny their creator. And so as a consequence, this transhumanism is a myth, it's a lie, it's a fraud, and they will die. And 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 even if their memory is transposed over to a robot, some super intelligent AI, eventually that AI is going to be so much smarter than the human being that he's not going to have any use for your you know pathetic little life being in his memory banks. He'll, he'll just get rid of it. It'll be a simple erase function. Bye, I've cleaned it up. Good, got rid of that. You know, so, yeah, you know, you're talking about this whole, this whole idea of transhumanism, transgenderism is all the same pathway. It's a pathway to say we mm -hmm. are superior to the nature. We're superior to nature. You see, we talked about, remember when we talked about Jessica, we talked about the fact that consent was the next boundary that has right. to go away with sexual orientation <laughs> and about how the consent is already going away. And it's the same thing here in order to rest, to promote this idea. Well, look. All human beings have to be transhumanized. In other words, you have to you have to have a chip implant in your brain in order to intellectually compete in school. You have to have a chip transplanted in under your skin in order to allow you to properly transact in commerce. You know, you have to have these add-ons in order for you, your children have to have these add-ons in order for them to be able to. I mean, right now, if you're if you're a parent who's got a child who's between the ages of 10 and 18, if they don't have a smartphone. You know, right. CPS will come over and pick up your kids because you're abusing them. You know, <laughs> neglect, <laughs> neglect. How can you? How can and, and and parents who have tried to pull their phones from their children for because their children are misbehaving or they're doing whatever, and they say, "Well, I'm going to take your cell phone away." No way are you taking their cell phone away. No way are you taking their cell phone away. It's not going to happen. You will lose your children if you try taking your smartphone from your child. That will happen. So, you know, I don't know, maybe in some jurisdictions it, it won't happen. But when you get out here in the progressive left coast, it will happen. So you see that this idea, the pressure is on to not just transgenderize. Transgenderize is just what they do is they hit you at an emotional level, right? They hit you at the level of sexual functionality and an emotional level and, and your expectation about decency we strike you there first and we eliminate and defile and decapitate 
your ability to say, well, this used to be decent. No, there is no decency standard anymore. We've killed that. We we raped that to death and it's dead now. We defiled it till there's nothing left. And so now because there is no decency standard, now we can tell you, okay, we now we can transgenderize your children. If you they can come to you and say, look, we have the ability. Your child came to us and said, I think I'm a boy. Right. And so we've decided to convert your girl into a boy. And if you don't like it, then you're abusing your child. We'll put your child in foster care. Or we've decided your son wants yeah, exactly. to be a girl. So we're going to have your child genetically or we're going to have them physically altered to become a girl at seven or eight or nine years old because your child said so. That's what your child wants. And parental consent, that boundary is long since gone. Therefore, we can do this if we want. And if we can transgenderize your children at our demand, at the state's demand, we're going to transgenderize your child, whether you like it or not. You can rest assured they are going to be able to come to you and say, you will put a microchip in your child so that your child oh, can't yeah. compete. Look at the vaccinations that's being imposed upon. I mean, parents don't have rights anymore. They're, that's the first thing they're going to do is try to take away those rights. But you know what I'm thought of? Uh, I know you only have like one or two slides left. Uh, but what comes to mind is Daniel 2, 42 and 43, where it says um, it's talking about Daniel's dream that's being interpreted uh, regarding this image. And I know that there's probably a lot more to it. But could it fit in, Dr. Pigeon? Could this fit into the mixing of fabrics or the mixing of seed uh, that, that Daniel is dreaming here where it says, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, clay like human, right? From, from the dirt you came, from the clay you came. And so this kingdom yeah, yeah, will sure, be partly good. strong and partly brittle. And 43 says, and you saw the iron mixed with clay. So the peoples will mix with one another, but will not hold together anymore than iron mixes with clay. In these days of the kings, the, the Elohim of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so it goes on. Yeah. But it's talking about this mixing and this image that had, you know, this all these different elements to it. Get an artificial knee or you get an artificial hip, or you get an artificial shoulder. Look, that's a bit transhumanized, okay? That's a little bit transhumanized. You've got something there that's functioning that wouldn't function otherwise. Now, what if you get into a situation where you're using steroids all the time to mm -hmm. build a physical stature and to build up strength and energy and so on and so forth? That's also a transhumanizing. It's trans, you're, you're doing something, you're creating this, you know, look, you know this stuff goes on in pro baseball all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Those guys are steroided out to beat the band and they're beating. Everybody's beating Hank Aaron's record or Babe Ruth's record uh, because they can. Why? Because they're like the third more strong. They have a third more strength than those guys did uh, for dealing with a heavier bat and a, and a, and a faster thrown hardball. Why? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with steroid abuse and they consider and say it's not, you know, but I mean, you know, when a guy is 30 years old and his hips are so crippled, he can't run the bases. That's from steroid abuse. That's not from working out. That's from steroid abuse. And, you know, so this is the kind of situation that you see. You already see a great deal of transhumanism already at play. Now, when you start to see this idea of hybridization, right, this reprobated mystery of hybridization, which is going to be what? It's not just going to be, gee, let's transform this human into, an, into a part robot, part human. No. Question is, look. If you're willing to transform part human, part robot, why not go part human, 
part fallen angel, part angel. Why don't you go part angel, uh, part angel, part human, right? Now you see that the 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 exact thing that happened at the time of the fallen watchers. That's what will come upon us again, and that's what all this programming is all about. So, so Dr. Pigeon, um, again, lots of stuff comes to my mind when you're talking as we would want, right? We want our, our viewers to be inspired to think critically about these things. Um, but, you know, what came to mind was Ayn Rand, you know, who Ayn Rand is, and she wrote Atlas Shrugged about dystopia, you know, concept and individualism and all this other stuff. But uh, it was based off of the idea that uh, Prometheus was the creator uh, who mixed his DNA with all other DNAs or species and then created humankind in his image. But there's a movie out there and I was looking for it. I think it's called Prometheus, um, which is very, very indicative of what I think the this agenda is, this, this uh, agenda 52, this alien agenda, which again is to mix the fabrics, to commingle. Absolutely. Um, Right. And again, to create an Ubermensch or something that can withstand the judgment of Yahuwah. I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. What's interesting, Dr. Pigeon, is that you mentioned this concept of being renowned. Well, what's interesting is that renown is, is to be anointed or to be appointed to accomplish something when in fact if their desire then is to compete with Yahuwah and to try to supersede his judgment or to avoid it altogether, then perhaps this is their aim and their goal, which is to be renowned or to live forever in their current state or to recreate themselves so that to they can. recreate themselves. That is yes. a very good word because this is, you remember the disembodied spirits, yes. right? We mm -hmm. saw the passage in Enoch that said, let their flesh rot in the ground. Right. It goes away. Now they're disembodied spirits. And if you recall, again, we see evidence when you when you go into the New Testament, do they ever use the word demon in the New Testament? Never. It's the word shud in Hebrew, which is an unclean spirit. Well, unclean spirit, evil spirit, right? Evil, spirit. evil rule coat. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about that, that unclean spirit, what unclean spirit are they talking about? Right. Which what are they talking about? They're talking about these these spirits, right. these disembodied spirits of Nephilim, right. the unclean spirits. So the demoniac, he's embodied with all these disembodied spirits that that when he when he finally when he, they come to Mashiach and they say, "Look, do not send us to the outer darkness." Now most scriptures interpret that as they say, "Do not send us to another country." It's not another country. It's do not send us to the outer darkness because Mashiach is about ready to cast them into the outer darkness. Do not send us into the outer darkness. Send us into those pigs instead, mm, right? Wow. <laughs> you remember, you remember, you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. And so he casts them into the pigs, and the pigs are so, you know, overtaken by these demons that they all kill themselves. They all jump off the hill. So when you when you see that kind of thing, you see over and over again, you see these disembodied spirits that are discussed over and over again. Where? In the New Testament. It's not like they're appearing in the book of Ezekiel or some extra scriptural text. They're right there in the New Testament, in the Gospels, over and over and over again. Why can't we cast the demons out of this guy? Because prayer and fasting is required, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. you got to starve it out. Yeah, and, and so, you know, you have all of these things that are being discussed about these disembodied, unclean rule code, these uh -huh. evil rule code, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so these spirits were wandering the earth. Clearly, they were inhabiting the land at the time of Mashiach. They were obviously not locked up somewhere underground in Russia somewhere. They were inhabiting the land. They were available and ready to occupy human beings. If they were ready to occupy human beings and did in fact occupy human beings at the time of Mashiach such that he could cast them out. And you can talk to, uh, I don't know, there's probably 100,000 pastors alive right now who will give you personal testimonies of casting out demons. I'm one of them. Lots and lots of casting out. I want to read something to you, Dr. Pigeon. First Kings chapter 22, starting with 19 for those who challenge what you're saying. Um, I don't think I can pronounce this name. I think it's Micah. (laughs) I'm not sure. But um, it says that it's a prophecy against Ahab. And it says, therefore, hear the word of Yahuwah. I saw Yahuwah sitting on his throne. And listen to this. And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And Yahuwah said, who will entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one suggested this and another that. So here Yahuwah has a council, an upper echelon, if you will. And it says, listen to this. Then a spirit. Now, Dr. Pigeon, let's just look at, look at this. This is the word backing it up. Then a spirit, a ruach, came forth or forward, stood before Yahuwah and said, I will entice him. And by what means, Yahuwah asks and goes on and says, and he replied, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. You will surely entice him and prevail, Yahuwah said. Go and do it. So here is an entity, which is obviously a melachim, a messenger, a melachim, that Yahuwah allows to go forth and embody his prophets so that out of the mouth where the heart speaks, out of the mouth is corruption. And what's interesting is that the word nephal, although it means to fall down, to be cast down, but in there, in the definition also is the word to lie. And if I may, just really quick, Dr. <laughs> if yes. I may, if I may, John 8, 44, uh, Yahusha is confronting the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and they're, they're contending saying, we are the seed of Abraham. He says, yes, 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 you are. Yes, you are. However, let's differentiate between those, the seed of righteousness, perhaps Abraham, and the seed of a lie. Now he says, you belong, specifically verse 44, he says, you belong to your father, Hasatan, or the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he, look at this, Dr. P, he speaks his native tongue because he is a liar and the father of lies. So he goes on, Yahusha confronts these individuals saying that they are inspired by a lie. They too have become nephal. Again, Cain, when Cain killed Abel, Yahusha confronts Cain and says, Cain, why has your countenance nephalim or nephal? Why have you become darkened? What sin crouches? Because sin and the lie thereof captivates the heart of men, which again is the inspiration of these fallen ones. They believed the Hasatan, they believed the lie, Dr. Pigeon, that we could supersede Yahuwah, that we can live forever without his grace and mercy, without his atonement. 
this is the lie, Dr. Pigeon, and what's going to come on the earth in these latter days if we don't prepare our minds is this great deception that we can co-mingle with the lie and exist. Very well said. Very well said, Jessica. I mean, very well said. And that is really the truth of it. Because when you're talking about the fallen ones, of course, once we join with that spirit, we too yeah. fall. And right. Hanok says, these fallen ones and the impious will be cast into the lake of fire. So it's very true. I mean, this is the same grouping. And when you're talking about this, buying into the father of lies and claiming him as your father, which is what has happened. People claim the uh, Hasatan, this liar, this accuser, this murderer, this, this thief who exactly. speaks his native language, which is a lie. By doing that, they have bought into that. They That is their future. They, they have become, they've unified their soul with the Nafalim. So good, Dr. P. And they, they themselves become fallen. They become Nafalim, and that's where their spirits reside. And so the the the, uh, the density of their loss is just enormous. I mean, they have no idea. And of course, those who act on that after they have fallen, after their spirit has fallen, and they act on that, and they begin to do wicked things, they just dig themselves farther and farther into a lower pit of hell. I mean, it goes from the first degree to the second to the third to the fourth, all all the way to the seventh level of hell, where it's you know, I mean, you don't want to be there. But of course, people don't follow this, but. You know, when, when you, you know, you brought up a very good point and that it's very true about Nephilim and this lying spirit that would be put into the mouths of the prophet, put into the mouths of the prophet. So let's finish these couple of slides yeah. here because. Yeah, this is perfect say, to end with. It's perfect. Go ahead. You, so some say that this was the reason for Noah's flood. One of those voices was the writer of Maccabeam Shelashi or three Maccabees. And. And so here's what it says here in Maccabees, Shelashi, 3 Maccabees, chapter 2, verse 3. It is you, the creator of all Yahweh of the universe, who are righteous governor and judge all who act with pride and insolence. It was you who did destroy the former workers of unrighteousness, among whom were the Nathalim, who trusted in their strength and hardihood by covering them with a measureless flood. Now, for those people who think that that Maccabees is just nothing more than historical, I think this slide gives us some evidence that, no, it's a lot more than that. And then finally, our last witness on this issue of Nephilim is going to be our friend Kepha, or Peter. And this comes from 2 Peter, uh, and this is going to be 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. He was another one of those voices. Uh, who said something similar. And he said, for if Yah spared not the angels that sinned, what is he talking about? What's he talking about if he's not talking about the fallen watchers? For if Yah spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Sheol and delivered them into chains of darkness to be watched unto the judgment of anguish and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Okay, so he's talking about the angels who would be cast down to Sheol in chains and, and who would be watched there until the judgment of anguish sometime before the flood of Noah. Okay, so it's very consistent that he is reiterating the story that is given in the book of Hanok or Enoch. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the wicked 
and turning the cities of Sodom and Amora into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live in wickedness, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the Torahless. And Yahweh knows how to deliver at his chassid out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So this concludes our slideshow here tonight, Jessica. And I am prepared to move ahead with uh, questions. Absolutely. One, My except goodness, for that one yeah. question. Don't ask that one question. Which one, Dr. P? The and one about pozole? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the pozole, that soup dish, eating human. I mean, I think it really trips some people up. But we do have some really good questions. And so uh, please, in, in the audience, if you have any questions regarding anything that we talked about tonight, um, please use the all caps feature. We will go through them. If you've already posted questions, I can't go that far back, unfortunately. So please repost them. Um, but we'll go back until I can see Dr. Pigeon. Um, first and foremost, thank you very much. That was excellent. Well done, as usual. I feel so full after. I get so excited throughout the week. Lots to chew on, lots to meditate on. All right, here we go. First question, Dr. P, the person is asking. Yolanda, please discuss O-negative bloodline. Oh, yeah. A lot Heard of people about are worried about this O-negative bloodline. Look, right. I'm not going to get... You know, do I have any evidence that the O negative bloodline is tied back to the watchers? We don't because we don't have any, you know, we don't have any DNA samples from the original sample group. You know, it's like people say, well, I'm Levite by birth. Well, can you show me some Levite DNA from, let's yeah. say, the first sample period? <laughs> you know, the answer is no, we can't. Oh, speculation. So it's speculation. So we can use we can use a, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we can use a form of logic, you know, um, but uh, an inductive logic, but it's not going to be foolproof. And so when you talk about the O negative bloodline, there are lots of, I've, I've known some people with O negative bloodline who are confessors of Mashiach, you know? And so am I going to say, well, gee, they're obviously the, the, the serpent seed. No, I'm not. But I can tell you that when you talk about, you know, you're going to be able to see, there'll be clear evidence of chimeras, clear evidence of chimeras. When they are here, you'll be able to see them. You'll be able to know in the meantime, what do we do? You shall know them by their fruit. Hallelujah. Yeah, by so what live they by produce. The, yeah, live by that standard. Everything else is good. Hallelujah. Okay. What the does the dividing of roots and trees mean? Yeah, and what they're talking about there is that, you know, you have this idea of trees. And, of course, what they're using the word there, tree, it could be anything, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be the word et's. Um, you know, when you're talking about trees, you're talking about the ideal, perhaps an yeah, oak, ideal. Yeah. 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 It could be, a, it could be a vine you're talking about or a bush. And what they're talking about, dividing of roots and trees, that means that you're talking about remedies that come from roots. Look, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big guy who believes in like wellness formula, which has got like 60 roots in it. And I take that stuff and guess what? I don't get sick. Um, you know, I do believe in naturopathic remedies. I do. But when you're talking about roots and trees, it means that somebody was saying, okay, look, you can pick from this, you can eat, you know, you can use fruit from this tree. If you take fruit from this tree here, right, you create a kind of quasi poison. If you, if you blend it with this root here, then it gets rid of this or it adds this or whatever. But they were teaching uh, basically a pharmacia, if you will, a naturopathic pharmacia with the dividing of roots and trees. That's what they were doing. 
Interesting. Very interesting. All right. This one uh, is regarding women. And here's what's interesting, Dr. Pigeon, is, you know, I've been weaning off of makeup. I just a short confession here. I have been wearing makeup since I can remember, since I was a little girl. I was taught to wear makeup by the uh, models and the, you know, the whole magazine industry. And so it was it was a difficult process weaning off of it. But as you notice today, I'm not wearing uh, much makeup, just maybe a little lip gloss and I got my eyebrows did. But aside from that, I'm not wearing any makeup today. And so I, I knew I said, oh, if I wear makeup, there's going to be a makeup question. I know it. I just know it. Dr. Pigeon, so no makeup. But we do have a makeup question and it's a good one. Roberta is saying, um, you know, she was she was challenging me on one occasion, uh, saying that it's uh you know, it's a treachery for women to wear makeup, which I, I don't agree with that. But uh, this is her opinion, and I appreciate it. She's saying, look, the Nephilim taught makeup. They taught women how to wear makeup. Could it be to fulfill their lust for them? And why do women wear it in the body? And before you answer that question, as far as a woman is concerned, I do think, again, we're talking about the, the idea of influencing to the point of position, right, to be renowned. So if makeup was taught to be worn, perhaps it was so that women could in, be induced or inductive seduction, right? Which is to be able to learn how to seduce uh, with their appearance, which is why I think Paul contests it and saying, let our beauty not only be outward, but let it be inward as well. But we do have a cultural norm. And so that this norm, it, it you don't necessarily put on mute. We're not necessarily putting on makeup so that we can seduce, but perhaps this was the reason was to teach women how to be seductive rulers or how to. Seduce All right. Well, let's, let's talk about it for a minute. It's going to sure. be, it's a difficult subject, of course, and I'm not here to condemn anybody, you know, but I would say this, I mean, first of all, most people believe that women wear makeup for other women, not for other men. Right. Because women seem to notice men are still kind of stumbling around the dark going, oh, duh, duh, duh. I don't know, man. She looks pretty good. You know, but but, you know, but I think the average the, the reason why uh, uh, most women wear makeup is to achieve a look at a specific age. You know, uh, women are there's a period in their life where they're very, very attractive. They're the most attractive they'll be in their life. And so they want to. So when they're younger than that, they want to look that age. And when they're older than that, they want to look that age. And so you wear makeup to try to get a uniformity of appearance with this particular time in your life when you look the best, right? And it's not, I don't think it's necessarily contemporaneous with seducing people. It's just a desire to look as best as you can, you know. And like my daughters would argue all day long, look, it's the good looking women that get all the all the jobs <laughs> and the blah, 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 you know. And I mean, and, and I suppose that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's probably true. Now, there are certain levels of makeup that are, um, you know, they're designed to make a woman look right. like she's a woman of the night, right? I mean, when you yeah. get into extreme levels of makeup, it obviously, you know, changes the perspective. But when you're talking about makeup that is, you know, kind of typical day-to-day -day makeup, you're talking about, you know, uh, for instance, a, a woman blending over variant skin tone, right. or maybe if if her lips do not look radiant enough, so she wants them to look bigger, or maybe she wants her eyebrows to look darker or something. I don't know. I mean, it varies from person to person, right? Right. 
Right. And sometimes it's just become, again, a custom. But I will say, again, speaking on behalf of a woman who wears makeup, first and foremost, Dr. Pigeon, just for those out there who are wondering, again, I'm weaning off of it little by little, uh, but for my own reasons. Uh, but I do want to say that all of my makeup and every product that I put on my body, which I don't put many products, are all natural, plant-based, all of my makeup, none of it is tested on animals. Um, it is all essential oils and all plant-based material. However, again, like you said, Dr. Pigeon, we have a culture that's entrenched in this concept of beautifying themselves in particular ways. What's interesting is that Esther went through a beautification process in which she also had to entrench herself in the customs of her day. Would she have been rebuked by Yahuwah for doing so? Matter of fact, Moses, Moshe, had a daughter in which her name, Ketora, means makeup in English. It's translated as makeup or to, to be adorned outwardly. What's interesting, sure. Dr. Pigeon, is that we have a culture, again, that is identifying as a woman by the way that they dress and the now, makeup that me, they wear. Now, yeah, Look no, at the men. Yeah, so no, let, me, let, me, yeah go ahead. let me let me speak to that minute because yeah. this is such an important thing and this you know and i try to counsel my sons this way too is that you know you can sit here and you know run after barbie all you want if that's your if that's your choice Preference, yeah. but you're not going to find anything if that's what you're looking for that you know that the, the true beauty of uh, of a woman is found in her eyes that's really the truth of it and that's where you find the truth of who she really is you know, it's the light to the soul, as scripture says, or is, is the eyes. Hmm. And the eyes carry the mystique, the strength, the, 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 the beauty. Really, it carries all of the person. And you can sit here and say all day long, oh, well, she looks like this or she looks that way or this, that, or the other thing. But the truth is you're going to find the beauty of the person is found in the soul and that is the only thing that will sustain a relationship between a man and a woman is is uh, right. uh, finding the beauty of the soul. That's the only thing that's going to sustain it. And okay. so this is when you're when you're you know, I tell my sons, you know, when you're out asking yourself, should I you know date this woman or should I get to know this woman? You need to look in her eyes and see what she has to say. Perhaps that's, why, perhaps that's why Jezebel decked her eyes out when um, uh, Jehu, Yahoo came and approached her. All right, we're going to move on to the next question. Um, okay. The next one is from Scotty Nazarene, Dr. Pigeon. Uh, let's see, it says, did the Nafalim only take on flesh when they left their first estate or are they flesh in the heavenly dimension also? Oh, yeah, very great question. You know, they you have had... a blog about that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, because the flesh in the heavenly dimension actually they had they had glorified bodies. They had glorified bodies as we will have glorified bodies. You know, uh, by by the grace of Yah, by His will, may we have glorified bodies. And the glorified bodies is the body that Mashiach transformed into that. Remember, He wouldn't let Mary Magdalene touch Him because uh, he, you know because He was transcending from His earth bottle to His glorified body but even in his glory glorified body he had the nail marks right and and the mark of the spirit because he made thomas put his hand in him he said you touch him right they were in his glorified body but the glorified body is a is a body that exists in another dimension and it exists in a heavenly dimension and it is a body that is free of illness and decay because it doesn't die it does not die they had that kind of body and they shed that body to take on life in this dimension, to take on the flesh that they brought here, and the flesh that they, and the flesh, the body that they inherited here in the flesh. Yah said that will rot away, 
and you will be a completely disembodied spirit with no heavenly body. There's no glorified body for you because you shed it. You shed that glorified body. That's why you cannot return. You cannot return. So it makes no difference. So you can fight to the death down here and you can hang on for as long as you possibly can, which is what it's been all about for 6,000 years is hanging on to every, you know, by the, their claws to the side of a mountain, trying to hold on to whatever it is they had. But the fact is they shed their glorified body to take on the flesh and their flesh will rot away in their disembodied spirits. Mm. That's what the scripture says. You know, it's interesting as someone asked me recently, um, why why do we think that the patriarchs and the men of old uh, lived to such a ripe old age, some at 600, 700 years old? And my answer, and I'm not sure if it's right, but it was a hypothesis here, but my answer was, Dr. Pigeon, that because the earth needed to be populated and therefore men lived longer, but as the world became populated or the earth became populated, there was no need to live extended amount of time because again, the population of the earth had already been complete to to fill the earth to uh, procreate or to uh, what it, what it, was the command that Yahuwah gave to Adam to yeah, to, yeah. Um, yeah. Right, to produce uh, to multiply yeah to multiply yeah well the thing is when you when you look at when you look at that I'm not sure that's right Jessica because you have all these patriarchs living these long times until the flood after the flood. You know, the earth changed, you know, the atmosphere changed. There was water on the oh, earth, yeah. was, you know, and all of these things happened. Um, and all of a sudden, nobody's living past 150 years, right? I mean, oh, Shem did. You know, Shem outlived Abraham, and he outlived Yitzhak, and he mm. almost outlived Jacob. Mm. He died during the life of Jacob. You know, I mean, that's kind of incredible. But Jacob, who lived 140 years at the time, he lived 140 years. That was considered spectacular. Oh, I see. Very good. I love it. You know, Pharaoh came to him and said, tell me, Jacob, on his 140 birthday, man, this is great. You're 140. What's that feel like? He says, how's your life been 140 years? And his answer was evil and short. <laughs> I'm ready to go. You know, this is a cute question from Jennifer, who loves you very much. She wants to know if you're a cyborg, Dr. P. Yeah, no, I am, not a, I am not a cyborg. I'll tell you what, you know, no, I'm just a, look, I'm just a, you know, you know, I'll tell you the, the way I retain information and why I retain information, it had to do with training as a pianist. Okay, so when I was a young man, I trained as a pianist, and my piano teacher was ruthless. He was this ruthless Frenchman. He used to make all the girls cry, and he just would not tolerate. I mean, you had to play, and you had to play in public under his ruthless thumb, and you had to play from memory in public, and we had to play these huge pieces from memory with no mistake. And he would be, you know, you know, oh, why do you insist on measure 16 on the B flat? You continue to use the fourth finger. What are you out of your mind? You know, this kind of thing. Right. And so we had, and so I got to a point where I was doing, you know, I would typically do a three hour piano concert and I would play something in the range of 12 to 15 pieces. I mean, I did a concert in law school. I played the Brahms Handel Variations. I played the Rachmaninoff Second Piano Sonata. Wow. I played a Beethoven Sonata. I played three Chopin Etudes, three Rachmaninoff Etudes, a Bach Prelude and Fugue, a, a Scarlatti Sonata, and Malaguena. That was one concert. And, you know, you have to play from memory, right? So there's a lot of memorization that goes on. So when you practice memorization, when you practice memorization, yeah. Once when you when you practice it, guess what? You learn that skill. And when mm -hmm. you learn that skill, 
now I can sit down. I mean, when I was in law school, you know, I'd read the cases and I, I remember I'd have the case from memory. So then I'd go in to brief the case and the teacher's like, where's your notes? I don't need the notes. Here's the case. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. It's called memory recall. Yes, our professors uh, tried to, to teach us to do that as well. And I did it for a little while. And then, like you said, age sets in, right? All right. right. So I, Anastasia, just to let you know, I don't see, unfortunately, I don't see question one. You know, I unfortunately I'm not in control of how this little thing works. We're going to take a few more questions. Um, Dr. Pigeon is, and again, another undisclosed location. We will not disclose here unless he wants to, of course. Uh, here's another one. Um, I think we did that one already. So, Anastasia, if you want to uh, post, repost question one, we'll get to that. Here we go. What do you think of the connection with the crash in Roswell and the sudden explosion of technology? Dr. Yeah, Pete? that's a great question, Randall. That's a great question. And I do think there are some ties there. I mean, you have, you know, and again, when you're talking about this technology, you know, there's been a, a recent publication, a recent um, uh, discussion, um, and I forget what the fellow's name is now, but he was talking with uh, Doug Hagman. And he was talking about this difference between the dimensions. Now, you can call it heaven and earth if you want. Uh, which I believe there is a heaven and earth aspect to it. Certainly in the uh, uh, in the Ascension of Isaiah, there's a discussion of seven heavens. In two Enoch, there's a discussion of ten heavens. In three Baruch, there's a discussion of five heavens. Uh, Paul talks about three heavens. And you have this idea of dimensional craft. I mean, there is stuff that exists. I believe that it does exist in the physical in these other dimensions. But they're at a completely different set of frequencies than we are. So we don't see them. We don't hear them. We don't know them. And and as this guy said, because they could be so broad based, they could, we could pass right through them and nothing would touch. Nothing would, Every now and there might be something that touches. But we know that the watchers were able to cross that dimension. They were able to shed one body, their glorified body, and take on flesh here. So you have this idea of translation. Now, People say, well, you can't talk about translation, Steve, blah, blah, blah. That's only Enoch. Well, the book of Hebrews, again, going back to the 66 book redacted edition, the book of Hebrews says point blank, and Enoch was translated, and Elijah was translated. I mean, you know, and Mashiach himself was translated. It's very clear in the discussion. You have this translation going, well, what is this translation? It's a one motion from one dimension, one heaven, if you will into another so if we can you know as paul says who is it that ascended but he who descended first in other words paul makes the argument point blank that mashiach descended to come to the earth and then reascended even though he descended into sheol into the waters below if you will and then reascended to earth and then ascended again into the heavens therefore we know it's possible to translate from one dimension to the other and so it's very possible that the crash at Roswell were, in fact, descending watchers who descended here and boom, they got in a crash because of because of whatever reason. And suddenly we have this technology. All of a sudden we switch over to titanium mm -hmm. for the aircraft. The aircraft become this, that, and the other thing. Then they're moving quickly and they're doing this. Microchip. Microchip <laughs> and all the digital. Yeah, yeah and, the, and, and the digital technology, believe me, has not brought us anything other than this program right now live. Oh, <laughs> the benefits thereof. The benefits uh, you know thereof, what, yeah, you know, yeah. funny, Dr. Pigeon, is someone was saying, well, technology can be used for good. I said hogwash. The truth is, is that, uh, you know, Big Daddy Google determines what information is accessible. They're the ones that determine 
when we do a, a Google search, uh, you could use Bing, you can use any other provider. And you may think you may be convinced that, hey, you know what, I have, I have access to information that Google will not provide, I'll go to Bing, I'll go to Firefox, I'll use another internet yeah, provider. But yeah. the irony is that no, the web is basically when you put in a, a search, you depending on the words that you use, those keywords, information is brought up. Now, I proved this the other day with the person who was asking, when I put in that search, you have like 500 and something search results. Who's going to do that? You basically are going to pick the first five or 10 to go through information and retrieve it. What's interesting, Dr. Pigeon, is that within the last decade or so, we begin to see a, a demise in bookstores like Barnes and Noble go down. Uh, public libraries started to get shut down, and uh, people say, "Well, what's so sinister about that?" Well, first and foremost, if there if there is something called the Mandela effect, in which information through CERN is being uh, manipulated and literature and whatnot is also being, I mean, if that is the case, but let's listen to this. What was so? What? Why would it be sinister? Why shut down a public library? because you can't access the books? No, no. Dr. Pigeon, do you remember something called microfish? Oh yeah, microfish, yeah, yeah, sure. Microfish was something that technology couldn't necessarily um, manipulate because it was basically hard data. Because when I worked for the bank, we used microfish and it was hard data that was put on these tiny, tiny, tiny little microfish. Fish, what does fish mean? It means data, right? Tiny, tiny little data. And so it like entire newspaper articles would be put onto the, and you on can microfiche. put them, yep. uh, and you could put them on these big machines and go through historical documents. What happened to all these micro fishes? What happened to all of this evidence of information, true information, Dr. Pigeon? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's such a shame because what you're talking about here mm. is that there has been so much lost. I mean, I can tell you when I think about there's movies that I want to go back and see that I saw in the 60s and 70s. Right. They don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. There's music that I want to go back and retrieve, you know, that you, we used to have the albums for. You can't get them yeah. anymore. They, you know, they don't exist. You can't find them. There's, so we're losing all of this artwork and we're losing all of these, you know, these fine things. And then when you talk about the libraries closing, you know, ultimately, if we can close down all of the analog world and all that remains is the digital world, then Google has absolute and complete 100% control. And Americans are clamoring for it. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Pigeon, there's something called the deep web. There's something called the deep web. How you access the deep web, I have no idea, but I know that it exists. And guess what? Very unsavory transactions are conducted on the deep web, uh, the dark web or the deep web. And I'm talking about from child solicitation, Dr. Pigeon, to snuff films. Oh, yeah, that's disgusting you know, stuff. I've watched documentaries where these things are being solicited on the deep web. And also lots lots of engaging, you know, things that you don't, you can't do because of the FCC. But what's interesting, Dr. Pigeon, again, what we have on the superficial level is information that is being dictated by the powers that be. Who's Who are they? They. Well, they that do these things are again framing the mind of a culture and saying, look, we'll give you the, the idea that you have freedom to access information, but we will determine what information is presented to you. And you, we know that you're, you're lazy. I'm not saying everybody, but we know that the majority of people because they're not taught to think critically. So guess what? They're going to pull up the first few engine searches thinking that, hey, 
I've accessed all that there is, but guess what, Dr. Pigeon? Again, we have come so far. Technology is doing a disservice, really doing a disservice if you ask me, aside from what we're using it now for and, and it's benefiting the people. But aside from that, we become so dependent on oh, Google's yeah. And box. it's going to be much more dependent. We're going to be much more dependent in the oh. very near future. I mean, as technology goes into this next leap, we won't have to think anymore at all. Wow. And, I, I, and at some point, we won't even have to be able to speak. Right. It'll just read our mind and then give us the answer. But, you know, at some point it, it'll be, you know, the questions will be so banal that they, they won't bother asking. All right, okay. so here's a custom-made incense. I have no idea what this answer is. Maybe you do. Why would an angel be punished for resolving spells as Armaros? Armaros. I don't know who or what that is. Do you? Um, well, let me see if I can if I can search something here. Yeah, go maybe for we, it. Maybe we can come up with something. Armaros. <laughs> Let's see. No, I don't have anything. Oh, I think this had to do with your question earlier. I mean, your comment earlier about um, using naturopathic medicine or complementary medicine um, opposed to pharmacaea. Uh, and uh, so how that can be a chanting. Well, just to clarify, so this this word or this concept of witchcraft in itself in the Greek is the word pharmakeion or pharmakeos, right? right? Which is witchcraft, which is where we get the Sorcery. word pharmakeion. Yeah, yeah, sorcery. Yeah. So it's the mixing of potions in order to create alchemy. And so people say, oh, you know, I'm a witch because I'm, uh, you know, gothic and wear black nail polish and I cast little love spells. But a true sorcerer is someone who knows how to bend the, the metals and alchemy, alchemy. An alchemist uh, is more likely a sorcerer than uh, somebody who, you know, dabbles in, uh, you know, the book of grimoires or, or whatnot. But uh, yeah, okay, so we're going to just move on from that. I don't really know the answer. Sorry, custom made uh try to get that one dr pigeon you got time for a few more or sure sure okay all right because we got lots of questions so let's see all right do you think our president is in a paradigm with ahab do you mm. think our president is in a paradigm yeah 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 i mean I, I mean look that's a very good question that's a very good question and uh, you know, I'm not sure I have the entire answer for that because, you know, our president is in a very interesting situation. You know, a lot of people uh, compare him to Cyrus or Koresh, you know, uh, but I see a lot of stuff that's kind of present. You know, when you talk about Ahab and his wife Jezebel, uh, you know, there was a certain amount of there was a, a greed associated with it. He was a greedy person. He he lusted after somebody else's land. And his wife talked him into bearing false witness to obtain it. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, I mean, I think, you know, uh, Trump is um, uh, Trump is setting his own paradigm right now. And it's uh, really, you know, on, on one hand, he's doing something that is necessary for America. I mean, economic America, America will not survive unless he does it which is that he has to reverse the trend of us giving 100% of our country to China and then saying, here you go, right? He has to reverse that. If he doesn't reverse that, there will be no nation. We will be completely eclipsed. And Everyone then we will be, you know, we'll be Great Britain, right? Mm -hmm. Which has totally fallen and fallen and continues to fall. On the other hand, he's paid too much attention, in my opinion, to the nascent Sanhedrin, and he's done things he shouldn't have done in Israel. Yeah that I think should have, he should have respected more international law. He did back us away from a confrontation in Iran, 
which would have been World War III, but we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, you know, India and Pakistan are going to go at it. China is going to invade Hong Kong. Uh, you know, there's we're putting missiles in Australia, you know, but the question in a paradigm with Ahab, um, you know, and there was another thing that happened with Ahab that I'm not going to talk about here tonight, but, you know, Ahab was told there was a prophecy given over Ahab and he didn't listen to that prophecy or he did listen to it. And he told the king from uh, from Judea, you dress up like the king and I'm going to dress up like a regular soldier. Right. So because they're here to kill the king and the prophet said the king is going to be killed. And so he dressed up as a regular soldier. And I believe it was Jehoshaphat or whoever it was that came out there dressed up like the king. He's wearing the purple robe crown on the head, standing in a gold chariot, <laughs> you know, pure foolishness. Right. And they, they surround him and go, well, this isn't Ahab. Don't bother to kill him. Let's get out of here. And they leave. And they're they're retreating. The army's leaving. And one Syrian archer turns around and fires a shot randomly back at the army. And it goes right to the one place in Ahab's armor that he couldn't protect. And it killed him. And, and his blood falls right there on the field that he had taken from the, from the farmer. Wow. So I don't know if that's the paradigm that Felton's talking about here or not. Um. I'd say it's it's an interesting question, though. Yeah, love it. Yolanda's asking, will more watchers fall to the earth again? Oh, absolutely. And I think you're going to see the big bath of them coming in here very soon, including Hasatan himself, who has had the freedom to go back and forth into heaven. But he's he's lost that freedom now, and soon he will be here on the earth. Now, will we see him physically? I mean, it's a good question. That I don't know, because he will give his power over to the beast system mm -hmm. and the false prophet. Influence. That's what you will see. Yeah, his influence and all that, and this, and the ability to do signs and wonders. That's coming very quickly, and I mean, we mm. could see that. We could see that in the next, you know, year and a half or so. I mean, that's coming very quickly. I believe. I think well, the Dr. revelation. Go ahead, Doctor. We will reserve this for another time when we can uh, talk about this element of the fallen ones. But I myself am very interested, and in, maybe we don't have time. We're kind of running out now. We have a few more minutes here. But the sons of men, the fallen angels and stars, according to Revelation 6.13, stars of heaven fell unto the earth. And so you said that uh, you have this concept of a star visiting soon and that it could be related to this particular sequence here. Yes, it could. Now, here's the thing. When you talk about the stars in heaven being the angels, I mean, you have this yes. express statement in Revelation 1 tells you the seven stars are seven angels yeah. and that and that the uh, the seven menorahs are the seven churches right well we look up in the heavens we see stars you know but this idea of the layers of heavens being above us ten heavens above us in in this waters of salvation the shamaim and the waters below which are the waters of condemnation that the rakia stands between it we look up in the heavens and we see these stars well the stars are part of the rakia as far as we see them but they are also probably angels in the next dimension. So when these stars, when it, when they're talking about a third of the stars falling from heaven, like Isaiah talks about, and, and in Revelation it talks about these stars falling from heaven, these are coming translating. They're not just falling like, like a falling star, like a meteor coming in. They're translating from one dimension to the other dimension. And, and they may be appearing, they may appear in their, in their uh, glorified body when they get here. Wow. So what did you say the name of that star was? Uh, oh, yeah, the star that's coming in, that's bringing in, uh, that's bringing in Hasatan? Yeah. Well, I didn't mention that. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to save it for another. Could it be, uh, what did I say earlier? Not Nab Nabu, no. Nibiru? 
Yeah, and the uh, well, you know, Gil Broussard talks a lot about 7X. It's a cosmological view, you know, that there is a, a rogue planet or a rogue comet uh, with a, with potentially a planetary system around it and so on and so forth. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, if that is the case, that's the case. We'll, we'll soon see. But the prophecy is very clear that, you know, in 1260 days from the sign in the heaven, Hasatan is cast to the earth and he comes down here to make war with the Kodashim. And the woman will escape, right? The woman will escape into the wilderness. Yes, hallelujah. So maybe we can do a show, hint, hint, on the prophecies of these fallen stars. Yeah, amen. All right. We have uh, just uh, enough time, you guys, for one or two more. We'll take Felton's. He says, what's your professional opinion on harmonics? I think Torah codes and harmonics are good. They're not prophetic, but they are confirming. They can be second and third witnesses to what's happening. Uh, particularly when if you take what's there and you take what's not there in a particular passage and the same thing with harmonics too and i mean the thing is is that if you close your mind to these things you say we're not going to use torah codes or bible codes we're not going to use harmonics we're not going to we're not going to review these things okay you can if you want but if you close your mind to these things you're not going to understand the mysteries you know the word mystery appears 22 times in the new testament in the new testament to us to right and the mysteries we are given to it's given to us to know the mysteries it's not given to the non-believer to know the mysteries right. the non-believer flees from the mysteries i don't know it's, it shouldn't be mysterious the bible should say jesus loved me this i know so the bible tells me so and that should be you know john 1 1 mark 1 1 matthew 1 1 luke 1 1 and there should be anything left that should be it that should be the entirety of it's not there are difficult propositions particularly in the gospel that are difficult to deal with and either you're a student of this stuff or you're not and if you're a student of it then don't be afraid of the bible codes they're not prophetic but they are something that you can look to and so you can get confirmation of particular things in the relationship to one another in a particular bible code Interesting. I love patterns. Um, I remember uh, being obsessed with Sudoku. Uh, and then, you know, after being obsessed with Sudoku and always looking for patterns, which is why I love etymology or language, because it's basically what's a segment of letters and words that define or make, uh, you know, some sort of a concept and, and bring it to life. But Dr. Well, Pigeon, we've run. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. I got one last thing to say. I, yeah, I mean, there, yeah. are people, there are people who do not know scripture. They haven't read the Bible even one time cover to cover let alone yeah. look at it. And they run around on YouTube and they run around in other places claiming yeah. that this is satanic and that's satanic and the yeah. other thing is satanic that's and that's satanic. And they're they're assigning teaching in the gospel stuff out of the, the Lord's prayer, you know, the Our Father prayer, the words of Mashiach, the teaching of the, of the words of Yah himself. And they're claiming that that is of Satan. Let me tell you, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to sit out here in your ignorance without having read scripture and you're going to start denouncing this, that and the other thing as being satanic, when you don't know what's there, you could be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting because Paul himself, there were things that were revealed to him uh, that were uttered in mysteries. And he himself said he could not even he couldn't even 
utter these things because they were just too woo. And he would not speak of certain dignitaries in a specific manner either. What's also interesting is if you were to look, really look in what we call today, again, everything being thrown under the umbrella of satanic or witchcraft, um, what's in, and again, I believe it's just to invoke fear because fear is a very good tool at controlling uh, an individual. What's interesting is that Joseph, right? He had a divining cup. Uh, you know, uh, Jacob, he had a divining rod. Uh, you know, what's interesting is, you know, the umum and the thumum were considered lots, you know, that would give a divine answer. The oracles, I mean, there were different elements that were used in that time that would fall today under some of the judgment of these uh, halfwits is what I will call them, the halfwits, that again, they don't have a full understanding, but but because it solicits, it sells, you know, just like sex sells, so does fear, Dr. Pigeon, and it's fear porn, and it's very, it's very seductive and engaging, and really, it's provocative. So I appreciate your response, whether somebody wants to delve into those things, I think you should probably be called to something like that, um, but a great answer. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anything else? Well, there you have it, Jessica. I think we, I think we have, uh, we've crossed the threshold here in talking about the Nafal and the Nafalim, yeah. and that, it, and not only are they present with us, but it is possible today, and I think many people have, in fact, joined them spiritually. Yeah. And in this world in which we're in this world now, the way this world is going, there are two camps. There are people that are returning to Yah, and there are people that are aligning themselves with Hasatan. And the okay. people that are returning to Yah are going to build a new world. Hallelujah. Okay. So before we go, I'm going to leave you with this. And uh, I know it's going to pack a punch, and I should have mentioned it earlier, but we can always discuss it next time when we talk about the stars in heaven. Um, Ezekiel 28, 14, and I know that there's this, this is probably a parallel, uh, probably in the natural as well as in the spiritual, but he's lamenting over the king of Tyr, which we know that Tyr was a dynasty that was known for its trade and trafficking. Uh, you know, many times Tyr was the... Uh, the um, the source of a conversation and a prophecy in regards to her falling and her beauty. Uh, but in this particular case, the prophet is lamenting, and it says here uh, in 2013, every kind of precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, etc. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold, prepared on the day of your creation. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I had ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of Elohim. You walked among the fiery stones. And before you say anything, Dr. P, I want to incite you because I do want, hopefully we could do a show on the fiery stones. What is this, right? And then it goes on and says, um, from the day that you were created, okay, walked among the fiery stones. Uh, from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you by the vastness of your trade, your merchandising or trafficking, which is also the account uh, in, in Revelations. Uh, it's her trafficking and her merchandising, the souls of men. You were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of Elohim and banished you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Well, it goes on later on to talk about how this entity was in the garden of Elohim, that it's the roots. It was like a tree 
He's described as a tree where the deep, the roots went deep, the boughs were great, the, the birds rested in him, and all the other trees were jealous of him. Who is this, Dr. P? <laughs> Such a very good question, Jessica. And I can tell you, look, the book of Ezekiel, we haven't, we haven't addressed the book of Ezekiel. Hey. But I can tell you, the book of Ezekiel uh, is the most radical book in scripture. Radical. Love it. Okay. It is out of order. Okay. You know, my friend Chris Ray, he sent me over, he said, look, it's out of order. He sent me over this thing. And, and so I restored the order of the book of Ezekiel. You can check for yourself. You'll see that the book of Ezekiel is out of order. The book of Ezekiel is so radical. Uh, the, uh, the Sanhedrin wanted to kick Ezekiel out in the year 70 AD. It was like, get it out of here. Get it out of here. It's too radical. We can't deal with it because he directly contradicts the Torah of Moshe. And he makes this prediction about the temple and the kind of sacrifices that were going to be there. And yeah, and uh, we've got a vote here for a show on the stones. And the show on the stones is going to be very good. The two fiery stones are the two fiery stones that hold the breastplate, right? And so you're talking about, so who is this if this is not the soul of the Levite priest? Okay. Now we're gonna have to. We've got. To, we're we're gonna have to get back to this and look very very carefully. When you but you're talking about being kicked off the holy mountain, Tyre was never on the holy mountain. The holy mountain was Mount Moriah. Tyre was never there. And when you're talking about these jewels, you're talking about the breastplate, right? You're talking about the breastplate of the priesthood. You're and when you're the fiery stones, you're talking about the urim and the tumim, and the and the and the two stones that held the breastplate. I mean, you're talking about some stuff that is going to be some extremely serious stuff. Let's do it, Doctor P. Okay. All right. That's Let's that's a great it. opener. And Jessica, so let me say this. Don't forget to come to Sefford.net. Come by our webpage. See yeah. us. Any, you know, the, the best way you can support me is to buy yourself a set of scriptures, right? Get yeah. the Sefford, get the lexicon. You know, we've got Wait. Havod out that's, that's cruising. And, Wait uh, a second before they go and do that. Listen, I, I added, I'm an affiliate of yours now, sir. So uh, Excelente. Yeah, we're working together. So please listen, if what you have heard today has blessed you, I'm going to ask you a few things. Please hit that like button and please leave a comment. Even if you know us and we comment all the time with each other on Facebook, please leave a comment in the comment section. It helps to rotate the video and get the algorithms out there. But more than anything, I've I've posted a link to Dr. Pigeon's webpage if you're interested in purchasing any of his items or looking through his content or contacting him, please hit that link in the comment section or in the description section. Um, and yeah, Dr. Pigeon, what else do you got going on over there at Sefer Publishing? Oh yeah, I mean, well, things are just exciting, you know, to beat the band. Uh, you know, Brad and I are gonna be meeting with Eric next week and uh, we're really looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, we're moving ahead on the Paleo Hebrew front. And I have to tell you, if I can share this with just one moment with our listeners today, you know, I was in a lot of prayer this morning and. I have my own, you know, come to Jesus moments, if you will. I mean, I have my reconciliation moments, if you will. And uh, uh, I take that as an invitation, Andrea. I just might do it, come down to Texas just to visit you guys. Oh, thank you, Sherry. I appreciate it. And But here we were. So here I am in prayer, and I'm having this reconciliation moment. I'm thinking, and I told uh, my uh, my friend Chris today, I said, you know, Chris, what was what would I do? if I, if I hadn't done this effort, you know, if I just stayed practicing law, you know, and I just kind of left it out. And the answer would be, I'd be bored out of my mind, you know, and my wife would want to <laughs> shoot me. Right. It's like, you know, go do something, would you? And stop talking to us. Right? 
stop, <laughs> stop blabbing your mouth at the dinner table. And so I have to tell you, so it, it was something I needed to do, something I had to do, something I was called to do. And when I look at what, you know, and I knew Yah picked me out because he said, you're the guy uh, who is crazy enough to do this and having, you know, I preserved you in Alaska so you wouldn't know what the world was like. And uh, so coming from Alaska, you could come down here and take on the world, you know, because Alaskans are crazy, right? Alaskans are like, uh, you know, they have this T-shirt up in Alaska. Uh, oh, yeah, here. Uh, you know, you got a problem you can't you can't handle? Here, hold my beer. I got it. Right? <laughs> you know? and, and Alaskans are just, I mean, it's its crazy. You know, when I was, we were up in Alaska last week or the week before, I think it was, and uh, Boone, yeah, that's a great town. So here we were, and I'm, I'm at my brother-in-law's house, and he shows up with this rig called a Sherp or Sh I think Sherp, Russian-built thing with 48-inch tires, right? And he says, let's see how this works. And he jumps into the rig, and he just goes driving straight into the woods, right? And running over trees and going over boulders, and, you know, over logs and everything else. Typical Alaskan. It's like, what's the problem? Well, we need to have more water in California. Okay, we'll build a 1,100-mile pipeline to get water down to you. That's an Alaskan concept, right? So anyway, the point is, is that he knew that my being from Alaska would be like, oh, yeah, that project's not too not too big for us. We can do that. We can take that on. Well, of course, now I find out, oh, you want to do that? Well, remember, everybody else who did it was burned at the stake, right? <laughs> so, yeah. but nonetheless, he did, and... Um, I'm going to see you people in Canada. I am. I've got, I have to come up to both Toronto and I have to come up to, uh, I got to come up to Quebec. My wife and I are coming up to Quebec. And as for Atlanta, we will be doing a conference in Atlanta next March. It's going to be much more explosive than what you think. Much more explosive. Is that the sacred word conference? Yeah. Although I'm going to talk to Zen and I'm going to talk Zen into saying, okay, it's got to be a lot more than that. And because we need to do a cosmological, uh, mm -hmm. a cosmological show and then we can present differing views on cosmology. Of course, my being the most correct. Absolutely. Right? Of course, Dr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't pay me to say that. But hey, why don't we do that here on Crossing Over and on his page? Hey, I'll hey. be happy to facilitate the debate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and absolutely. just the moderator we need to. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dr. P., I'm thinking we need a sacred, no, I'm sorry, a Sefer publishing conference. We need a Dr. P. Sefer conference. Where That's should we do we this? Where should we do this? Yeah, knows. Let's pray about it because it looks like a lot of people are saying that you need to do that. And perhaps that's what we got to do next. Perhaps we'll just continue to do what we're doing here and see if we can't put something on for the people where they can gather together and, you know, get a hold that's of you personally. That's a great idea. Yeah, we should do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we've got to do it where we can, where, where it's going to be the easiest for people to gather. So that would be yeah. Las Vegas. Uh, no, no, we're not doing it in Las Vegas. No way. Oh, no, no way. No, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff I would enjoy doing. I know we had talked also about you perhaps uh, leading a tour in Israel. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, I'm I putting you on I would love to do that. For people that are interested in my leading a tour in Israel, uh, okay, if there's people that want to do that, and if we start getting a lot of feedback, Jessica, on, on the crossing over page, for people that want to lead a tour into Israel, I'll be happy to take a group to Israel. 
Uh, we only then, need, I mean, I mean, I can book, I can book, but we only need like a handful of people, Dr. P. And of course, this is a side conversation here, but hey, you've been there many times. I've been there. We know the, the land. I would love to hear your perspective and really go to the places that are authentic and not oh, you know, tourist, you. tourist attractions. Yeah. Like, and, and now I believe I know where the site of the true Holy of Holies ooh, is and was. Yes. And, and I believe I can take us there. And, uh, you know, so, and I can tell you, I mean, you look, you know, you know, when I, when I, I always counsel people on Israel, the places you have to go, like Ein Gedi, Ein Karem, you have to go down to the Dead Sea, you have to go to the Fountain of Tears, you have to go to, uh, you know, you got to go up to Haifa, you got to go up to the Sea of Galilee. I mean, there's, you know, places to see and do. So if people have, um, if people are going to generate the, uh, the thing to do, if everybody wants to go, then, um, It'll have to be April of next year. Okay. You know what? Let's just start talking about it. Let's see if we can't put some, uh, we'll put some bait out there and see who, uh, who, uh, who bites Dr. P. But I think we've run out of time. We've exceeded. Look, we can go on and on because that's what this format's for. <laughs> We're engaging with the people. That's what yeah, we love. Yeah. Well, I'm going to age right here on the spot if we don't get off this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, you know, it's been fun. Lots of people are saying, yes, let's go to Israel. Sign me up. California is awesome. They want to go. So let's all pray about it. Dr. Pigeon, as usual, my favorite time of the week, Thursdays. And just a, a side note for my viewers and those viewers that are connecting right now, I uh, do plan on putting out more content soon. Um, I was working on my actual content before I went through that. I also have some interviews. Fulton Sheen, Dr. Pigeon, is going to jo uh, join us and talk about the uh, global economics and some oh, other excellent, stuff. excellent. Yeah, I was a like, good conversation. I was like, maybe I can have you and him on the show and just go ahead and navigate between the two of you. But anyhow, Fulton Sheen's going to come on. We're going to have uh, some other individuals coming on, having Remy come on, and uh, we're going to talk about some cool stuff. So stay tuned. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Pigeon, click that link in the description button. It'll take you to his website. And he has content on his own channel under Sefer Publishing. You can also find him on Facebook as well as me. We appreciate you as always and bid you farewell for this ah. evening. Shalom, shalom, Jessica. Shalom. <laughs>